Hello and welcome to episode 139 of the Filmiac Podcast. I am John. I am Kevin. And I'm JR. Today we're talking about Kevin's pick, the 1996 film Bound, directed by the Wachowskis and starring uh, Joey Pants and uh, Jennifer Tilly and Gina Gershon, among others. We're also going to be talking other stuff we watch. How are you guys doing? Doing good. Crushing. Isn't life amazing? It's just so nice. I started uh, I started streaming my PC gaming. <laughs> what? I've had a lot of free time on the spring break, so. <laughs> ah. So how much longer before you're a Twitch affiliate and you don't have to be a teacher anymore? Uh, pro- if, I, if I really dedicate myself, maybe 10 years. But, <laughs> you know, right now I've got uh, five subscribers on YouTube. Damn, and dude. Of, I think one of them is Jonathan. So, <laughs> really and he's my only subscriber on Twitch. So it's a, uh, it's a, it's a slow go, but it's, it's just fun. It's just fun to like play and edit the videos afterwards and stuff. So what the, what the, what the fuck are you playing? Yeah. Oh, uh, I played, um, the first thing I did was a, a game called ready or not, which is a SWAT team simulator where you're like a SWAT team guy and you like go into like a gas station that's being robbed and you shoot the suspects you know sounds like classic propaganda <laughs> all right cool what else it is <laughs> um and then i also play um ooh, this game called deathly stillness which is like a zombie game and then i play i, re- I, I recorded a, a a video today for rising storm 2 which is a vietnam game like a vietnam shooter mm. and I actually uh it's pretty good i edited it together and it was like i i actually like, created like a small narrative out of out of the match which was like this guy on a roof kept shooting me and I couldn't get him. I couldn't hit him. And then I finally was just like, I'm okay. I'm focused hundred percent on killing this guy now. So then I rushed up onto the roof and I shot him. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it's a lot of fun, man. It's a See, lot of like, fun. That is interesting writing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I have the soundboard hooked up, uh, but it's only coming through the right speaker because I haven't run into like yeah. a, a personas uh, audio box. Oh, right. But it's but it's like mono to the right. I oh, think yeah. like I need to get a speaker like a like a dual um, aux cable cord thing. But anyways, enough about my hobbies. Um, this is a movie podcast, goddammit. and uh, we're here to talk about movies. Yes. So and tra- get serious and trailers though, right? So the trailers for movies and a show and, and TV shows <laughs> like uh, the new Park Chan Wook. Um, series on hbo called the sympathizer which just mm. dropped the trailer today. a lot of trailers dropped in like the last two hours or three hours well i think warner warner bros i think went they had like a whole thing today like they announced uh like a new harry potter show right. and stuff I, I think they had yeah uh, did you watch the teaser for the harry potter thing no of course okay not. I, yeah, and I understand that. I just happened to see it, but I mean, and it's literally nothing. It's just the logo and like music, and like there's some floating candles. There's no like cast or anything. I don't think they even know who the cast is. But anyways, uh, <laughs> it's so bizarre because it's like I'm a. It's called Harry Potter, and I'm assuming it's going to be a remake of the Harry Potter books. You know what I mean? Like a readaptation yeah, of them. It is. And yet, and yet they use the exact same font for the logo. And the and John Williams's score from the first two films. Well, because they haven't made anything yet. Yeah. You think that that score is not going to be in the show? Oh, I think it will. 
I, 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 th- I, I think they will, they will also yeah, have more. Like, yeah. Than that. They'd be yeah. insane not to include that score because it's probably the best thing about those films. But the 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 fact of the matter is, it's just weird that they like they're sort of like uh, hitching their new adaptation to this old IP, you know, this uh, or the old version of the IP. It's just strange to me because it's like obviously Daniel Radcliffe's not going to be involved in it. You know what I mean? Emma Watson's not going to be in it. No. So like, and it's got no relation to those earlier films except they're based on the same material. It's just strange. It's like if the Lord of the Rings show came out and it was a readaptation of the original of the of the three books, and they used the same score, and like they had you know uh, Andy Serkis playing Gollum again or something. You know, it's just be, it's just strange. I, just, I think at at this point in the process, we're like we're announcing this thing officially because it's been rumored for a week now. Anyway. Mm. Um, you know, they, I, I really truly believe that they have nothing like not even, they, do they even have a showrunner for it? Probably. Uh, they do. Who knows, man? I doubt it. I, don't I, mean, know. I, I agree with you. They probably have very little. So yeah, I just think I mean, they put like, this is going to be like, you know, there's going to be literally like a mountain of, um, you know, NDAs. So I'm sure we won't says, actually know anything until <laughs> HBO is ready. Okay, so it does say David Heyman, who produced all eight films, is in talks to executive produce it. Mm. And it says and that's that not much. Yeah, it says J.K. Rowling is executive producing, which is which, really bizarre. It's not bizarre. It is. Uh, she has been pretty careful about maintaining control of her IP. I'm not uh, saying it's bizarre like, that they would associate with her. They just they have to. They have no choice. Like they the, the video the game show. they made, the video game they made uh, recently, like that also had J.K. Rowling's involvement because uh, yeah, they didn't advertise it. No. Yeah, I mean, that game is huge too. Let me tell you. I've yeah. heard it's bad, but I've heard it's very good from lots of people. Yeah. But I mean, I'm not interested um, in Harry Potter at all, so I could give. I'm fuck. not interested in Harry Potter or video games, so I probably have just like a weird, uh, <laughs> a weird anecdotal sample size. Mm. yeah but you know she as involved as she might be she's still she still can't hold candle to agatha christie because little 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 history here so (laughs) (laughs) so agatha christie she wrote a play called the mouse trap and she had it hamlet hamlet reference yeah pretty much and so she had it in the contract, you know, legally binding, you know, in perpetuity that a film could not be made of the mouse trap until six months after until it hadn't been, you know, in on stage for like six months. Okay. That's literally never happened. Hmm. So, you know, <laughs> uh So she had a lot of control. Yes. Like, um, yeah, like, uh, I haven't seen the movie, but, um, my brother was telling me about, uh, that Sam Rockwell movie, uh, See How They Run. Like, there's allusions to, like, I mean, pretty much they know that they're talking about the mousetrap, but they call it something else because legally they can't, they can't do it. Hmm. So. Interesting. Yeah. Um. Okay. Oh, and also they rebranded HBO Max to just be called Max now, which is bizarre, but... Yeah. Like, why drop the HBO? I don't know. I don't know. I I mean, I I did listen to some people talking about this move, uh, which was, you know, a predicted move earlier this week, Mm -hmm. I guess. And it was like, 
for some reason they feel like um like having HBO in the name is almost like exclusionary and there are people who don't like HBO even though it's so much even though the service is like so much more than HBO I was like I don't I don't know I kind of feel like we're we're coming up with some bullshit to justify something here but HBO is such a good what HBO stands for like the literal like home box office is such a good uh descriptor for what it is because even their television is like cinematic and Mm. you know and they have movies and they act and they do their own movies now and uh, i mean they've always done their own movies but they do the hbo max original movies it's just i don't yeah it makes no sense to have to change the name from my perspective but again they've been doing a lot of crazy shit over at hbo for the last year or so so yeah Yeah, i'm well and i i do feel like most of that crazy shit comes from the uh the discovery plus side of it like, right, because it's it's that guy, uh, David Zasloff, right, who took over and uh, mm. was making a lot of those weird decisions. It says that um, the Harry Potter TV series budget will be commensurate with those of Game of Thrones and House of the Dragon. Goodness, House of the Dragon had a hundred twenty-five million dollar budget for season one, apparently per episode. No total. Oh, but I mean, that's still, that's what, do they, what do they have? Eight ten. episodes? I mean, yeah, you know, yeah, it was eight episodes. That's pretty, uh, <laughs> or that's, was it 10? That might've been 10. Even at 10, that's 12, 12 and a half million each. I mean, that's a good, that's a good budget. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I honestly just thought it would be more. I don't know why. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyways, what'd you guys think of the sympathizer trailer? The, uh, the new, uh, Park oh. Chan Wook, uh, TV series starring Robert Downey Jr. And, I'm assuming they're Vietnamese or Korean actors. I don't even I don't recognize their names, so I apologize for that. But yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I don't like uh, a lot of the voice, the vocal choices that Robert Downey Jr. makes. Yeah, you said that in the text. I, what do you What do you mean by that? The the way he's speaking, like to differentiate his different characters, I guess. Okay. Um, but yeah, sure it's like that is all, I guess. Watch, watch it again. I think yeah. you'll. I think you'll see. But um. But otherwise, like it looks really interesting, and it looks like kind of a, an idea that hasn't been explored very much. Um. And it also reminded me of um, uh, what's the name of it? Chuck Palahniuk had a book about like some some kid spy from an unnamed country. It's got the uh, toy soldier on the cover. Yeah, but I can't. I can't, for the life of me, I can't remember the name of it. Pygmy. Yeah. Pygmy. Yeah, pygmy. Um. But yeah, it, it reminded me of that, like the kind of um, like the flashing back to you know stuff happening in the home country and then stuff happening in the now and um. So yeah, I uh. I don't know. I'm psyched about it. I think it looks really cool. I think it looks just like a lot of. It looks like really interesting, and I like the uh, the lead in it, Hoa Zuande. I don't know how you say this fellow's name, but um, the the main sort of Asian actor. Mm. Um, I thought he was good looking in it. He looked look interesting, and uh, yeah, Robert. I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure what's going on with this character. Yeah, except I mean, for that, he's like I guess is he playing different characters or is he a spy who is dressed as different people? It's like a spy thing, right? So, yeah, I don't know. Uh, we'll I, have to watch to find I out. I assumed it was the dresses different people, but yeah, them 
them saying Robert Denny Jr. and Robert Denny Jr. and Robert Denny Jr. at the end was right. Confusing. Mm. Wait, it's by a uh, it's a based on a Pulitzer Prize winning novel by Viet Thanh Nguyen. So yeah, I'll probably check that out. I honestly like. I just think it's cool. It's cool that Park Chan Wook is taking a break to make something that uh, looks like it's going to be big. Mm. And uh, sorry, taking a break from movie making to uh, to direct a lot of this show. I don't know. The show looks cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm in. And I like Park Chan Wook. Same. A lot. I'm with you. Um, maybe not a lot, but I do like him a lot. I do like him. I like him. I like his, uh, like, you know. The few films I've seen by him. It's frustrating that the very last thing in that teaser trailer was coming in 2024. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? That's a long time from now. Yeah. yeah. Well, it feels like a long time, but I mean, it's like, you know, it was like a week or two after uh, Dune came out and they announced Dune 2 coming mm-hmm. and uh, 2023. And I remember thinking like, that's fucking forever from now. And now it's like right around the corner. So, mm-hmm. yeah. But we haven't seen a teaser for that yet that I know of. Yeah, so? Well, just like <laughs> giving us the teaser, like, you know, potentially a year or more in advance. Oh, like, damn. I thought you meant yeah, like, yeah. I thought you meant we haven't seen a teaser. So what if it's not actually going to come out this year? Oh, no, <laughs> like no, no. I, I think it will. I think it that, was, will. Yeah. That, that would be a big disappointment. I mean, they've been pushing it. And there's a lot of people online who are talking about like that. There's like a month and a half. Uh, right there at the end of the year where you've got like, you know, major movies from big directors, Scorsese and uh, Villeneuve and Nolan and everybody else. So mm. anyway, um, I guess let's get into what we watched. Uh, who wants to go first? Um, oh, did you I guys can... see the, real quick. Sorry. I forgot. <laughs> did you guys see the, uh, the penguin trailer by any chance? The, no. the or the penguin TV show. No. Oh, I meant to send this to you too. You had just like way, mu- way too much time for the news today. <laughs> well, I just they kept popping up, dude. Like every yeah. five seconds, there was like a new trailer. Like that True Detective Night Country teaser came out today. I did watch that, and I am not in. No, I, I, no, I, I'm, I don't know. Maybe, maybe the trailer makes makes it seem a lot worse than it actually is. But like, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Like. It, lo- it looked like someone like, you know, the first episode of the first season is called The Long Bright Dark. What if we set it in Alaska? And it's like, mm, <laughs> I think uh, it's uh, I think it's promising only because it uh, it looks pretty like standard fare, like standard sort of murder <laughs> mystery stuff. But all but I think it's um, differentiates itself from the other seasons because it only has one big name attached to it. Whereas yeah. the other seasons are like piles upon piles of big names, you know? Yeah. Um, and this one is just Jodie Foster and this lady, Kali Rice, who I don't know. I mean, maybe she's somebody to someone. I don't I don't know, recognize her. Mm. Um, and Christopher Eccleston is in it, apparently, and John Hawks. But they weren't, I don't remember oh. in the trailer. Anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sorry. So anyway, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Who wants to begin? True Detective sucks. You never even fucking watched True Detective, bro. I watched the first season. Did you? Yeah. I'm sorry. Kevin, give me a second. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> JR, you watched the first season of True Detective? Yeah, like as it came out. And it sucks? 
I thought um, True Detective was interesting for a few episodes. And it's like, oh, you're not like doing anything. And then the ending of that season was really fucking stupid. Uh, but there was like a long <sighs> tracking shot uh, with guns. <laughs> the Literally, that long tracking shot that you're talking about is the worst thing about the entire season. They hated it. I just thought I don't understand why everyone loved it. It's like, oh, cool. That's just the thing that everyone sure. was doing at the time. There's like just go I'm, and be the, the I'm JR. directing thing. I can't believe you're saying this, dude. The the ending of of the first season of True Detective is like some of the greatest television I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> it's like I, closest. We were talking about how HBO can be cinematic. Like that episode and the way that it ends, specifically not wrapping up things, is the, so cinematic compared to every other ooh. show that comes out and wants right. to tie everything up. In a, this is why people hate Sopranos. It doesn't end right. We don't know what happens. It cuts to black. Fuck that shit. It's brilliant. <laughs> The mystery is sorry, great. dude. I I was not into the time as a flat circle stuff, and I was not into the hunt for the king of carrot flowers. I, just, I wasn't into any it of it. It wasn't the king. It was the king Ooh. in yellow, man. Was that king. from then? King's carrot flowers. I'm kidding. Stuff. I know what it's by from. Robert Chambers. Thank you very the, um, much. <laughs> the time is a flat circle thing. Matthew McConaughey chastises that fellow for saying that. <laughs> no. <laughs> Sorry, I was not into the Matthew McConaughey performance. Oh, um, you're fucked, bro. You know, I think it, it's it's better. It's almost better as a meme. I don't. How have we never <laughs> talked about this? I do I not like. No, I could have sworn. I literally in my mind when you said that, I was like, "When did you watch that?" Because I could have sworn you told me you hadn't seen it as it came out. No, I've never seen. Like, I never gave the second season or the third season a chance because I was like, Nor "Why am you. I going to pick up something that I didn't like the first time around when everyone liked it?" Well, sorry, dude. I, mean, I don't know. No, it's all good. Sure, I think. Dude, I, mean, think as I think. I think this Detective got me off of TV. Boy. I stopped watching TV after True Detective. Well, now you're back, though, right? I'm, mm. I'm all the way back. I'm watching all the Mandalorian that I hate. <laughs> no, right? <laughs> that I understand. Yeah. Your hatred of Mandalorian, I get. I mean... Oh man. Anyway, sorry. Who yeah. was starting? Kevin, were you starting? Yeah, I'll start because I there actually ha- I have you know I watched a lot this go around. Okay, so I finally got around to watching The Whale. Now, okay. cool. I, I I ended up liking it more than I thought I would. Um, but uh, I I don't remember how much you guys said about um, Sadie Sink's character. That was easily like hands down the worst part of that movie. Like by a a major margin. Like yeah, whoever like this such Samuel a bitch, but she just wants to save people. She's so cool. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Whatever. Like, yeah. Like I don't know. I don't know who this Samuel D. Hunter is, but like it was clear when he was writing this. He's like, you know how teenagers are like just the worst. I'm gonna take that and I'm gonna crank it up to like. Like, we're not even going to 11. We're going to, like, fucking 25 on this shit. Like, every single second that she opens her mouth and that she's on screen is fucking horrible. And, like, it's not like, you know, like, I've seen, you know, uh, the second and third seasons of um, Stranger Things. Like, Sadie Sink isn't a horrible actress. 
But what's going on here is just the absolute, like, absolute worst. Yeah, I think it has to do with the writing. I don't think it's her fault at all. Like, I don't yeah, blame abs- her at all. I absolutely. Think it's, it's 100%. Like, the writing is not great. And it's not, and you can tell the writing's not great and it's not her fault because she's not the only one guilty of this. Like, her mother, the, the, who's played, who plays her mother in the movie? Uh, some, Samantha, Samantha Morton. Samantha Morton. Right? Yeah. Mm. Who is a, a decent actress and she's terrible in the movie, too. Good. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. It's definitely not the actor's fault. I mean, I think, like, Hong Chow, I think, is the only person who is, like, okay and i don't like her uh but i sorry i really do like hong chow excuse me uh it's like hard to make me not like her yeah I mean, she's she's easily the best the best part of the movie in my estimation she's but um right now yeah and you know like yeah brendan fraser like you know he's not horrible but i wouldn't i wouldn't say he was you know amazing in it either but again like yeah like like you said, like it's not it's not any of the actors' fault, and honestly, it's not even uh, Aronofsky's fault because you know I really don't like Aronofsky's movies, for the most part. Um, you know, The Fountain, not notwithstanding. Brilliant. And yeah, and, but yeah, like, like that's that, I think that's like the biggest problem with like you know, state you know. Uh, stage plays it's like you know because i guess it's because they feel like because they're in front of people they have to make everything so huge and outrageous you know because mm-hmm. you know and there's a uh, gotta reach the people all the way at the back of the theater and all that kind of stuff and it's like sure you know, it's just drama 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 and it's like you don't need that Especially in a movie that takes place in one, in one room, essentially. Yeah. Well, and and that's like the one of the problems that I I have with uh, some plays that I have seen. It's mm-hmm. like we're in this one location, we're stuck here, and there is like this just really annoying need to like make sure that every single thing and person is connected. You know, like the, the way that. Um, this uh like the the fucking kid who shows up and won't go away for some reason that reason of course is so that sadie sink can save him and that's the only reason he's there uh but like the Mm. fact that he's like a member of like basically a religious cult that hong chow's family was also a member of is like what like this is the dumbest shit um and i'm not i'm not letting aronofsky out the hook because um he made a, a choice to shoot the ending the way that he did and i'll never forgive him i okay see i don't have a i don't have i have less of an issue with that thing i don't 100 percent mind that like (gasps) i don't i don't hate it but like i don't love it i mean but it's like i also don't hate it i have problems with other things that he of his direction though like he stages a lot of stuff in really weird ways like when the uh and i'm sure it's in the script like this but when the uh like the the boy and the girl uh talk then they're like sitting on either side of the door the bedroom door mm-hmm. like i can't stand shit like that it just feels very like stagey and fake and put on very contrived and um it just does not work for me like it, it takes me right out of it and there's a lot of stuff like that in the movie i mean it's just like weird like uh unbelievable movements of characters and things that they do and say that i just don't buy well and and that's probably like you know 
we're stuck in this one room and this is it's a movie i guess where sticking in one room makes sense this guy can't move sure uh yeah and we have to we got we got to do something there has to be no, some see, you don't have here. to do something though that's the thing though you don't have to do something because you can no, watch a movie like, sorry. like oh, sorry, i feel like it's no, like that's they, the they feel process. like there's a need sure to like have that's the moves. thought process but it's insane because it's like like watch 12 angry men or like yeah any other like single room drama that's directed by like a, a great filmmaker that's like you know and it's just like you don't have to get crazy with things you don't have to make it you know uh compelling with your direction constantly the 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 material if the material is compelling that's all you need and you need good actors, obviously. And that's the mm. that's another thing they're missing. You know, they're, he's overdoing it. He's overcompensating for the lackluster script and the seemingly shit performances from everybody. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And I gotta say, like, you know, like any any creative writing teacher would look at the end of this story and like, like you know. Jim Butcher talks about like he had a writing teacher who would like roll up his story and whack him on the nose and go, what were you thinking? Like the like absolutely like photo finish character, you know, I I can't even call it character development of, you know, like literally for two hours, Sadie Sink's character is a horrible piece of shit to everybody (laughs) in every way imaginable. And then, you know, like she reads the essay and daddy you know and then (laughs) it's like no i don't forgive her she didn't she didn't try to help that kid get back with his family that was just something you know that was that was an unintended consequence she was a shit stir from the beginning to the end like and you can't tell me otherwise fair enough i won't try to (laughs) um all right uh JR. All right. Um, let's see. I watched a few things. What did I watch? Um, I watched Tetris, which was a uh, an Apple TV Plus Apple Plus release. Um, it's a movie starring uh, Taron Egerton, and it's about a um, a Soviet man who invents a game called Tetris. Uh, that's not that's not played by Taron Egerton, or who's not played by Taron Egerton. Egerton is an American guy who works to sell the rights to that game, uh, basically everywhere besides Russia. And um, you might be asking, how is that a movie? And I don't have a lot of answers for you. Uh, and then you might ask, how did that become like a Soviet corporate espionage movie? And I still don't have answers for you. Uh, feels like there were a lot of bad ideas going into this, and um, and it's it's rough because Ered, Ed, Edgerton, Egerton or Edgerton? What do you guys say? I think it's Egerton. Egerton. I'm sorry, Taryn. I don't know. I'm not 100 percent sure though. But That's I think my bad. Is. Well, regardless, I'm saying it wrong. Some of this review, and hopefully saying it right for other parts. Um, Egerton is an annoying douchebag trying to just like strike oil by selling uh, the rights to various uh, video games, just hoping for for a hit. And he stumbles upon Tetris, um, like at this expo. Like he doesn't have Tetris. He just like walks up to a booth and starts playing Tetris. So like he's not even like the first guy around to discover Tetris. Again, I don't know how this is our protagonist. I don't know why this man ever became important and we made a movie about him. Um, 
but upon playing Tetris, he thinks that it is uh, just brilliant, and he can realize he realizes he can sell it to in Japan through Nintendo. Nintendo, goddamn, my words. Um, I like Nintendo. It's better. <laughs> and so, and he lives like he lives in Japan, running this company with his uh, with his Japanese wife. He's got this beautiful Japanese family in Tokyo um, that he ignores. Uh, he learns about a uh, super secret Game Boy prototype when trying to strike a deal with, with Japan. They send him to Seattle to check out this Game Boy. And it's like, hey, this Tetris thing, can we get this on a Game Boy to like sell with the system? Of course. Uh, and so it becomes um, all about securing the handheld rights for uh, Tetris. Um, and he flies back and forth between Seattle and Tokyo and Moscow a lot. And just like all of a sudden, even though Nintendo's only talked to this one guy, Taryn, um, it's just like everyone else is also like, well, I got to get the handheld rights. I don't know what handheld is. I don't know what a Game Boy is, but I got to have it. And it's just all about people arguing about uh, these rights and who <sighs> shitty contracts and fake contracts and we're flying back and forth. And then there's a corrupt uh, Soviet politician and then um, Gorbachev is there. He's kind of a hero. He's the honorable, honest Soviet politician. Mm. And um, this is, it's just like this movie should have been called like Capitalism, a Heroic Quest. Because uh, it's like, it's that <laughs> level of like just gross. It sounds and, boring as fuck. It's, and it's, yeah. But it's, and it's actually not boring as fuck because it becomes like a spy movie with car chases and twists and shit. Just Ugh. somehow, uh, but it, it, sorry, it's <laughs> not. Ahead. It's not boring, but it, yeah. it is bad. And <laughs> you know, like we've got like, these eight-bit graphic scenes that act as like the scene transitions because uh, because Ugh. video games and um, like we take the time to get to know Taron Egerton's family and we like see him hurting his daughter. Like he is prioritizing oh. this uh, <laughs> chase over his his family, and but then like at the end. He's like, hey, I got the money. <laughs> and his family's like, we love you. <laughs> and that's, that's it. And, uh, and the guy that actually created Tetris, or the man playing this guy, um, who has like sat out most of the movie because he's like, well, I'm like the one person here. I, like, I don't benefit from this. Um, and he's just like this grumpy. So yeah, just this grumpy, this grumpy Gus. And he's like, Americans are stupid and all you care about is the money. I don't want to be your friend. I don't want to hang out with you. And then one second, he's like, you know what? Actually, I do. We're best friends now. Let's go to the club uh, and let's have a bromance for the rest of the movie. All right. uh, Sorry. That's it. Good grief. Nothing works. I was so mad at this. I don't know. I don't even know why I watched it. Nothing. I do. It's a video game movie. I think it was just like I was on Apple. It was probably like after Sarah and I watched an episode of Shrinking or something, and I was just like, "Let's do this." You're watching Shrinking. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're a whore for Apple, dude. No, <laughs> no, no, no. For their TV shit, you I watch not... all their TV shit. No, I don't. I don't watch all of it, uh, but you know, sorry. Whenever Sarah wants to watch a show that I'm mildly interested in, I'm, I will watch it with her because I oh, like yeah, watching things with her and yeah, she doesn't like that. to watch a lot of stuff. Right. So, Right. I understand that. 
that's you know blaming on your wife. I, I get it. Um, <laughs> I'm a Bill. I'm a Bill Lawrence whore, not a yeah, Bill <laughs> Lawrence whore. All right. Well, uh, I watched um, Plane from this year. Uh, directed by Jean-Francois Richet, who honestly, I didn't even realize who this was until after I watched it, but he directed um, the Assault on Precinct 13 remake and uh, this uh, terrible Mel Gibson action movie called Bloodfather <laughs> that I watched because I thought it would be good and it wasn't. Um, and he also did the two Mezrin films um, with uh, Vincent Castle about Mezrin oh, okay. criminals. Those- People mm. liked those, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's well regarded for those, I, I, I imagine. And I remember liking the Assault on Precinct thir- 13 uh, a remake when I saw it in theaters. I was I was 19 years old, so I don't know how it would hold up now. But I remember thinking it was pretty cool and everything. Anyway, Plane is, uh, I, uh, Plane is g- granted, a goofy, ridiculous movie, okay? But it's goofy and ridiculous in the same way that... Die Hard is goofy and ridiculous. Or any Under Siege, any movie from the from the 80s, it has that 80s feel, uh, 80s action movie feel. It has the same sort of setup, Passenger 57, or, uh, <laughs> you know, Executive Decision, not an Executive Decision so much. But anyways, it's about, a, I'm just naming plane movies now. It's, a, <laughs> it's about Gerard Butler, who's an airplane pilot, airline pilot, uh, who is flying a plane in the Philippines and uh, he's also transporting a prisoner uh, played by Mike Coulter. Wait, is it my, yeah, Mike Coulter, who's like a, you know, con he's done something. I forget what his jet, what his crime was. Anyways, they crash land on this Philippine Island doesn't have access to like the army or any law enforcement. It's like nothing but rebels there. So they're in a lot of trouble. And it's up to Gerard Butler and this criminal to sort of protect the passengers. The passengers get like kidnapped by the rebels and they have to like go save them. And it's just like a super simple sort of stupid plot, but it really works uh, as an actioner, as just an entertaining uh, uh, 107 minutes there. (laughs) And uh, it's, I I, I don't know. I had a lot of fun with it. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's, 100, it's, 107 is too many. I agree. I, you know what? It is, it is maybe a, a tad too long, but I think it's there. They, it's paced very, very well. I think they spend the right amount of time, uh, getting to know Gerard Butler's character prior to the events unfolding, which is to say, not very much time at all. Um, but you do get like these interesting things, like scenes that I wouldn't expect. Like he's on the plane prior to takeoff, like drinking coffee and like, gabbing it up with the stewardesses you know and it's just like this weird human moment that i wouldn't expect to see gerard butler interact in you know what i mean he just strikes me as so like wooden and terrible and everything but in this he's like comes across as like very human and real and grounded um not to say that his performance is like great or something but it's just very appropriate for this movie and uh as are the rest of them. I mean, some of the people are kind of ridiculous. Like there's this, uh, there's this, the one guy, um, fuck, what is his name? I wrote about him in my review. Uh, Joey Slotnick, who I only know because he was in a uh, hollow man and Boston public back in the day, but he's like shaved his head entirely. And he is just so like, he's the passenger who's just mad 
constantly about everything. Like he's mad before the plane takes off. He's mad when they're going down. When they get down, they're like, "What the fuck are we gonna do now?" You know, like he's he's angry about everything. You know, Wait, there's only there's only one guy who's mad. It, it is only this one guy, and he he takes that whole mantle upon himself. You don't really hear from the other passengers very much. Okay, mm-hmm. but then there's like this whole other story going on at the same time with Paul Van Victor and Tony Goldwyn, where they're like. Paul Ben Victor plays the uh, like the airline. He owns the airline, or he's like the CEO or something. And he hires this guy Tony Goldwyn, who's like a fixer, to come in and like he's gonna like handle the situation essentially. And they have like a like a command room almost. It's almost <laughs> like it, it would, but but it's like it strikes me as like very very like this is how an airline would handle this. You know what I mean? Like they're getting ransom money together just in case they're asked for ransom. You know. Like, okay, how much money can we get? When can we get it? You know, how are we going to get these guys out? And then they, uh, the guy, Tony Goldwyn, hires, a, like, a mercenary team and sends them in secretly to, like, rescue them. And it's just, I don't know. I, I found it very, very enjoyable. I would so watch this again at some point just for fun on, like, a Saturday afternoon. It's incredible. Uh, none of this sounds appealing to me. Like, I, <laughs> I understand why it could, be, it, why it could work, uh, but... I'm having I'm having trouble imagining hey, that this one works. Hey, I would feel the exact same way if this were you talking to me about it because I thought this movie looked like uh, uh, what's that uh, Left Behind with Nicolas Cage. That's what it looked like to me in the trailer. <laughs> I was like, this is the level we're working at. It's really really bad. Everybody's bad in it, but it's not. It's this is like I don't know. It's it's not like I'm not going to say it's like an elevated thriller or anything. It's not. It's a it's very it was, very where it's supposed what made to be you. I'm just curious, what made you choose this like over Tetris? <laughs> you know, like, well, like you could have uh, watched, you could watch something that looked bad, and you chose the you chose the right thing. Tetris is like so nothing I'm interested in at all, dude. Like the, I, the, this whole like this sort of like phase that we're going through in Hollywood, and they talk, they, they they touched on this on Film Junk, but the idea of like what the social network started where we have to make movies about the development of the, all these different IPs and all these different, uh, you know, things on the internet and video games and movies. And we have to see the making of about the Godfather and we have to see that, you know, it's, and it's just like, it's not interesting to me at all. Like the dramatization of these stories, the social network was interesting. It worked yeah. very, very well, but there's, mm. that's not a, that's not a formula that's going to work every time. I think it's a very, very rare that that would work. Are you lumping like uh, like air in with this? Yes, of course. Did you, 1, see, did you see air? Okay. I will not see air, even if oh. air. I mean, I I can't say that. <laughs> I do not want to see air at all, but I probably will end up watching it. Twenty twenty three. Yeah, it's twenty twenty three. And it's so you know like this this theater run is like this was like a late decision by uh, by Amazon. It's supposed to just be a Prime movie. Yeah. Um. So it'll be on Prime soon, and I will probably watch it when it's on Prime. Yeah, I mean, I, I will. T- I mean, I, I like you know, it's like the last collaboration between Matt Damon and and Ben Affleck was amazing. Mm, yeah. So it's yeah. like I'm inclined to watch it for that reason, but it just the trailer looks so fucking terrible, and it looks so much like every other one of these kinds of movies that we're getting now. And yeah. and that's the interesting thing about Blackberry. The Blackberry mm. movie is in that vein too. It's like very, it's like running in the exact same race, right? But it looks more interesting to me somehow. And I think it's a lot of it just has to do with the fact that it's, um, what's his face? The Matt Johnson, the, Matt Johnson. Yeah. Involved yeah. and directing, but I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm interested to see that one. I'm not interested to see Tetris at all. I will not watch but, Tetris. Uh, I can guarantee you that. I'm taking these on a case by case basis. I don't want to say that I'm gung ho for these movies, even though I watched Tetris, but, mm-hmm. uh, Tetris is just like a bad late night decision. And I'm going to yeah. try not to make that again. 
Totally. Mm. And I'm going to take will, your uh, I'm going to take your uh, your advice and not and not make the decision to watch Tetris. I'm yeah, not yeah. going to watch. Yeah. It's not going to happen. Don't do it. Yeah. I will watch Air probably, unfortunately, but I will never watch Tetris. <laughs> yeah. <It's> like... <laughs> Benny Benny needs our uh, he needs our, our views. He needs our clicks. It's he also needs, like he needs us to watch it. I always have yeah. a, I always have issues too with like when you portray problematic people in like a big Hollywood movie and you just know they're not going to address any of the problems with these people. So like the guy who Ben Affleck is playing is like he's like a piece of shit and it's like we're not but you know they're never going to confront that because it's like Nike sponsored and you know it's yeah. like so I don't know that that's like that's a problem for me too like I just can't I can't get past stuff like that I wish I could but I can't. Mm. Anyway, Kevin. Okay, uh, I'm gonna do uh, two real quick. First, uh, basic, oh. John McTiernan's final mm. film, which was pretty good, solid performances. Um, I think it gets a little like too into the weeds with the um, like all the different twists that are in it, and like. I like Giovanni Ribisi. I think he's a really good actor. But in this one, he was just so, like, it was so over the top in such a unfitting way. Like, it just, it, it didn't do it for me. And also, like, I remember seeing the trailer for this, like, on TV. Oh. And, like, you know, like, it's like a big moment when, you know, John Travolta is about to push some dude into, like, spinning airplane um, propellers and it's like, mm. you want to see what happens when you lie? You know, screaming it. <laughs> and then, like, in the movie, it's like, I don't know if it was, like, HBO or whatever, but, like, like you barely hear it. It's like a whisper because the airplane is so loud. You like, know, That's disappointing. You know what's insane about this movie? Mm. It's written by James Vanderbilt, who would go on to write Zodiac. So, like, and I think basics, a lot of basics... Probably the best thing basically has going for it is McTiernan directing it. But mm. secondary to that is probably the script. And I think the script is fairly solid. I don't think it's amazing, but it's fairly solid, as I recall. And this guy all this guy would go on to write Independence Day Resurgence, awful. Scream, the part five, awful. Scream six, awful. Murder Mystery Two. Like what has happened to James Vanderbilt? Am I right? Jesus Christ. I don't know. Sometimes sometimes you hit gold and like oh, I'll, I'll give you a great example. Like I have always held uh William Goldman in the highest of esteem because of, you know, pr- principally because of Princess Bride and Marathon Man. Right. And I've been going through a bunch of his books and they are not very good. Ouch. Like to like I know like in multiple interviews, like he said that he doesn't like his writing. Like he will stand behind Princess Bride and Butch Cassidy mm-hmm. as like the two, like those are the two things that he can look at and not be embarrassed, which is weird because Marathon Man is like the best thriller of all time. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. But yeah, but like, he, I don't know. Like he's, he, wrote a lot of like these like domestic dramas and it's like he's trying to be it's like it's like he's trying to be like some like i don't know every man uh novelist and yeah. it's like it's like dude those are not your strengths 
That's too bad. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it's seems like kind of the same deal with this guy. Yeah, I mean, uh, possibly. I mean, I've had that experience yeah. too with authors. Like, I remember um, thinking I read a, I read a short story when I was uh, much younger called um, "The Nine Billion Names of God" by Arthur C. Clarke. Mm. And I just remember thinking, like, that story is so good and it's so tight and amazing, and like the ending is just mind blowing. And then I bought a book that was filled with short stories, including that one. I was reading all of the other short stories. We're like, man, he's not a great writer, is he? <laughs> like, it's just it's, these are just not very good. Like, the nine billion names of God holds up; it's great, but the, everything else is just sort of like, eh, hmm. yeah. I mean, I mean I, I'm sure, yeah, I don't know. I know. I've never read two thousand one. I don't know, but <laughs> the movie's good. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, also to round out McTiernan's uh, filmography, I rented Medicine Man on Amazon. Mm-hmm. And it's like McTiernan is 100% out of his element. Like it is, you know, it's this fish out of water, you know, opposites attract romance slash, you know, science movie. Like Sean Connery is this scientist who's like, he's secluded himself in the Amazon jungle and, Lorraine Bracco is going down there to ostensibly to be his research assistant, but it's also like she's the new head of whatever whatever company is like funding his research. So she's like kind of taking him to task for it too. And gradually she finds out that like he's found this like cure for cancer and um but he's like, you know, having trouble like reproducing it and like you know they hate each other but then they like each other and you know it's like Hmm. the the biggest takeaway from this film for me was lorraine brocco like she has such a pronounced accent like i'm sure you'll remember from goodfellas but like when she's trying to like talk like like without that accent like she still has the accent because he's constantly referring to her as Dr. Bronx. Dr. Bronx. Yeah. <laughs> she's a, uh, she loses that a little bit in, um, she's in Sopranos every right. season of Sopranos. And she, um, she has a very sort of, uh, because she's Italian in the show, but she's like up upper class Italian, you know, she's a doctor and everything. And so yeah. she like, doesn't have a ton of that, um, street, street accent anymore. Right. Yeah. It's just weird to hear her talk, like, with a lessened version of it. It's like English is her second language. It's really weird to listen to. And, (laughs) yeah, so, yeah, that movie is, like, yeah, it's definitely, like, McTiernan's, like, biggest strengths are easily action films. Of course. (laughs) Yeah, because, like. He's the god of action. Yeah, because like this takes like place between I think it's like between Red October and uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance, and like you know I guess he wanted to do something different, but yeah, it just doesn't work. Stay anyway. in your box, bitch. That's right. Pretty much. Pretty much. That's right. Um, of course, he did Rollerball, and everybody hates that. That's an it's, action movie. Well, Rollerball's not good. Well, it's an action movie though. It, true, but <laughs> yeah, they're on roller skates instead of. 
in a building or the jungle. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Uh, Kevin, did you watch the original uh, Rollerball? I have, but it's been like a billion years. Yeah, me too. It's been a long time. Yeah. Um, Jewison. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I've put together, from that, I put together my McTiernan ranked list and I didn't know which one to put as number one because I, I like Predator and Die Hard like equally, really. But I just put Predator as number one because, you know, like it's Predator. It's good. Uh, mm. I mean, I looked at your list and I was immediately like, this is a great list, except Die Hard with a Vengeance should be number one. But other than that, it's. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I should watch it again. Like, it, it you know. Die Hard with a Vengeance is easily, right now, in my mind, I mean, if I rewatched it, who got, God only knows. I'm waiting for the, for like a 4K to come out because I'm going to watch it again. Mm. But like, yeah, I feel like it would be like Die Hard with a Vengeance, 13th Warrior, Die Hard, Predator, and then everything, whatever. I, I haven't seen everything either. I haven't seen Rollerball. I haven't seen Medicine Man, Nomads. I have seen yeah. uh, Thomas Crown Affair. I used to... Yeah. Dude, I used to love one scene in that movie, Kevin. You know what I mean? I know what you mean. <laughs> it's the nude scene with Rene Russo, I, Jim. You know, I, something about you guys' tone kind of tipped me off. Yeah. So is that weird to think like Rene Russo was super hot back in the day and turned on teenage me? That's just strange because like she's sort of like absent at this point. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what she's doing, but. Me neither, man. She hasn't done shit since Nightcrawler. Mm. I guess she was in Avengers Endgame. I don't. I didn't. I don't know what she does in that. But me neither. And I saw the movie. <laughs> I don't, I don't she plays that at all. She plays Frigga. Oh, that's right. She's uh, Thor's mom. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Wait, totally <laughs> forgot about that. Was she Thor's mom in all the movies? Yeah, she's in the yeah, th- yeah. Thor movies as well. Oh. Two of the Thor movies, just the first two. Mm. Yeah, I think. Oh, the... So pretty much all the Asgardians die. No, they like, do they're transported off to another well, place. But like all of like spoiler, like Odin's not there anymore, and I don't yeah, think, <laughs> I don't think Renee makes it. I don't. I don't remember. Um. Yeah, she was huge back in the nineties, man. She oh, sorry, she was already dead. They went back into the past. That's oh, she's gonna be seventy next year. Mm, cool. That's wild, man. Yeah. I mean, she was like in her late forties in Thomas Crown Affair. She's forty-five. Wow, she's really. I just remember her being really good looking. <laughs> anyway, sorry. I mean, I was also you know thirteen or something. Right. Yeah. Re- I was rewinding that VHS tape, my friends. I will tell you that <laughs> over and over again. Anyway, this guy's uh, losing it. This guy's <laughs> losing it. Um. <laughs> All right, I'll uh, I'll go in a direction. Um, I watched a 2023 release called "Smoking Causes Coughing," which mm. is a uh, the latest movie from Quentin Depew, mm. who is uh, he made Rubber, the Killer Tire movie, which is the only other movie of his that I've seen. Um, but I read a review that made this movie sound interesting. I, I don't. I feel like I've just I've not been interested in any of his movies since rubber i did not like rubber uh when i saw it you know over 10 years ago whenever they came out um 
but I don't know. I thought this sounded interesting and could be funny just based on the premise. And, you know, based on what I saw, maybe maybe I do like Quentin Depew. I don't know. Because uh, I liked this movie. It is about a, um, a superhero group who are uh, sponsored by a nicotine company. And they're called Tobacco Force. Uh, and it's like a Power Ranger style, like, superhero group. Um, as in, like, they're fighting a guy in a suit um very very low budget um and uh sorry they are sent by their boss their handler to sort of uh you know they're sent to a retreat to kind of recharge and uh and rebuild the group chemistry uh that they need to fully access their uh, cancerous powers and um they spend their time at this retreat, like sitting around a fire and in their cabins, uh, telling stories. And once that happens, it, the superheroes kind of become a framing device for uh, a few uh, vignettes that um, that end up being much more interesting stories than what is going on with the superheroes. Uh, but they're they're very like absurdist. But yeah, I um I like those vignettes. I really liked the sort of uh, the dialogue between these uh, superheroes. And, um, you know, this movie is not great, but I think it has some really uh, just great elements. And um, I found the nicotine stuff funny. Like, their names are... Like, one of them is named nicotine. One of them is named ammonia and methanol. And just, like, people calling each other by these chemical names uh, was funny to me. Um and their handler is a large puppet rat who is very sexually voracious, but also very uh, sexually irresistible. And, uh, you know, I can't tell you why this works for me, but it worked for me. I like, <laughs> I like sexy puppet rats. Oh, my goodness. All right, then. Um, I was in. I... <laughs> I watched uh, Nostos the Return, or Nostos the Return. I'm not really sure how you say it. Um, directed by Franco Piavoli from 1989. Um, you love this my, movie. Yeah, it's great. Mm. Uh, it's been on my watch list for a long time. And uh, it's just on YouTube. And I was like, I'll watch that. It's pretty short. It's 85 minutes. <clears throat> and it's a story about uh, Odysseus um, coming back from... Uh, the war i don't really i don't know i don't know much about the odyssey the iliad or any of that stuff i haven't read any of that but um trojan war right sure yeah sure whatever um anyways it's not about the war itself it's just about odysseus on his way back with his companions on the boat and uh several things happen that end up separating him from his companions and then he sort of has this like um long languid dreamlike journey through memories and he encounters different people and women who he sleeps with <laughs> anyways it's the the thing that makes this movie next level in my opinion is that it gets at something that i've never seen another movie get at which i've thought about a lot which is the idea of like Okay, and this could sound ridiculous, but like, you know, like, <clears throat> have you ever considered the idea of time travel and like how how legitimately terrifying it would be to actually travel back in time? 
Like, if you just suddenly travel back in time and it was 1957, mm. wouldn't you just be, like, totally panicked and, like, what the fuck is happening? Like, your whole world is upside down. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's, like, the further back you go, sort of the more alien and strange it would become, especially if you're going back as far as, say, you know, Odysseus, right? 3000 BC or whenever the fuck it is. I don't know. It's a long time ago, right? And this movie is not have anything to do with time travel, but it, it but it accomplishes this like interesting, it, it, it gets to that alien nature of the past, you know, in that it's like, there's n- not a lot that's relatable in any sort of a real way to what's going on in this film, which sounds like it would be bad, but it actually works really well for it. Like, for instance, like I, I, I watched this without subtitles only because there's very little dialogue in it and I couldn't, figure out how to turn subtitles on on YouTube. I guess it doesn't have them. But then I read later that they made up the language that they're speaking. Like they interpreted it as some kind of ancient form of Greek. Hmm. So it's not really, in, and they said it's presented without subtitles on the Wikipedia page. So I'm assuming it doesn't have subtitles anyway. And that really helps because again, it, it creates this like feeling of like you're, you're like, you know, voyeuristically watching something like that ha- literally happened thousands of years ago. And it just makes everything feel very, very foreign and very strange and very alien and, uh, I've never seen a movie that do that. Like I've never seen a movie that's so in its time as this one. Just, mm. it felt amazing. So uh, just uh, every scene was, was incredible. And, uh, and this guy Piavoli apparently like, I believe I read that he hadn't directed anything before this. I think don't hold me to that. I'm pretty sure that's what I read, but, or at least not a, not a feature. Um, yeah, he had done some short stuff, but anyways, uh, and uh, so he didn't have a whole lot of uh, like experience, but his direction is like incredible. The editing is incredible, and apparently, he spent like a year editing it, and it really shows like there's just incredible shots, just beautiful scenery, and like the way that he composes certain shots. And like, there's a, even in the banner on you on a letterbox, there's like a there's this shot of these women on a beach with this canopy, just really interesting shit like that going on. And uh, stuff that just looks really interesting interesting to, to, to look at and take in. And, uh, yeah, I loved it. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. Hmm. What kept it from being a five? What kept it from being a five? Uh, you know, I the, the thing that... It's not, it's not the movie's fault. I watched this in, in pieces. Mm. So I don't have a great sort of grasp on the pacing of it, I guess. And that's probably what dropped it slightly. And that's my fault. I kept like, I kept like turning it on and then I would have to turn it off to go do something. So I would come back to it later, but it's great. It sounds like I would enjoy it. I need to, I think you would. Cool. It's good. Anyway, Kevin. Okay. So let's see. I rewatched Bed Knobs and Broomsticks because I've always like I've always loved this movie because we had like a recording of it from the Disney Channel like a million years ago. And like I I have always held this in higher esteem than Mary Poppins because like there's kind of this like 
they have a lot of similarities because of uh, like Angela Lansbury's character is, you know, she's an ap- apprentice witch is what she refers to herself as. And Mary Poppins is kind of, you know, magic. And both of them have David Tomlinson. And like, like he is easy, easily like so much better in this than he is in Mary Poppins. Like he's this like. He's the head of this witchcraft correspondence college, but it turns out like he's just a con man who, you know, just happened upon an actual book of magic and was selling selling it to random people. And like I yeah, I just love this movie, but watching it again, like there were I don't know, like, we must have had, like, a more heavily edited version because, like, some of these, there's, like, dance sequences in it that, like, go on for, like, way too long. And it's like, <laughs> we don't need this. Um, but anyway, like, uh, Angela Lansbury is great in it. David Tomlinson is fucking fantastic. And, you know, it's... Ronnie hum- Bell. Yeah. He, yeah, he plays, like, he's the like, country priest. Um... I like Planet of the Apes, so. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I would highly recommend to anyone watch Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Hmm. I have to check it out. I've never actually watched this. Mm. It's all. on Disney+. Plus. I don't think I've seen it. Should be one of your uh, picks, Kevin. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> JR? All right, um... Let's see where can I where can I go next? Um, I watched uh, God's Country. So it uh, finally came to me on hold uh, from the library. It took forever. Uh, this was a 2022 release uh, starring. Um, is it Thendiway or Tendiway Newton? I was just no like Thandy. Yeah, I just, I know she's made an effort to. To change her name back. Mm. Uh, so I guess since it was Thandy, I'm going to call her Thandy Wave. But um, she's a professor at like a small town college in uh, like rural Montana or Utah. Somewhere hilly and snowy. You know, west. Um, she's got a lot going on. She's uh, grieving the death of her husband. Um, she's dealing with a shitty boss who's also a shitty neighbor. And now there are these hunters, these two guys uh, from town who are parking on her property to uh, poach. Um, and she confronts them and like, hey, I'd appreciate it if you asked permission to uh, park on my property. And uh, that escalates into um, it's like a feud, a rivalry, a feud. We'll call it a feud uh, that it gets increasingly violent. As um, you know, her relationships kind of around her start just uh falling apart, and Newton is uh is really good. She's awesome. I I liked her a lot in the movies. It's like very uh, it's very pretty and it's very somber and quiet. And sort of as things get more violent, it's like you're constantly caught off guard because the movie is so sort of like uh like languid and these these violent moments just kind of uh break that spell 
Um, yeah, it's good. Recommend it, especially for Newton. Old Newton. Mm. Haven't seen anything with her since um, Westworld, Westworld season one. Mm. Which she was good in. So Is it okay that I don't like that? Yeah, Westworld sure. is garbage. Okay, cool. Actually, I did... I did like season one to a degree. I didn't love it, but I thought things were, I thought the way that it resolved was interesting. Yeah. I love Jimmy Simpson in it. He's fantastic, Mm. but he's like great. And he himself is great in pretty much everything he does, but he's not in a lot of great stuff. I think. Oh, was he the, the past version of? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Okay. He's in Zodiac. Speaking of Zodiac. Yeah. Anyway, um, I watched uh, the Russian Hamlet from 1964, directed by Grigory oh. Kozintsev, Kozintsev uh, and starring, I'm going to say it, Anna Kintley Smoktunovsky as Hamlet. Um, who, She's going by like Emmett Smoke. Who's also apparently in Mirror and Letter Never Sent, but I didn't recognize him. Uh, He's, he feels and definitely is maybe a little too old to be playing Hamlet, but I don't, I don't have a lot of, I don't, that sort of argument doesn't hold a lot of water for me usually, like the whole age thing. Like I remember um, J.R.R. Mutual friend Dayton told whenever uh, the Macbeth film was going to come out last year before last, I guess, um, he was like, there's no way Denzel can play Macbeth because Macbeth is supposed to be young and power hungry. And I was like, well, Mm. I don't know how much that matters because Denzel is like a great actor. So I'm sure he'll be fine. And he was. Um, So anyway, this guy uh, is also fine as Hamlet. Uh, Some of the choices in here are like really, really interesting. Like some of the way they, the ways they choose to stage things for lack of a better term. Uh, as opposed to, say, Branagh's Hamlet or um, even Olivier's. Like, there's just, like, this one's obviously inspired by Olivier's um, quite a bit. Uh, Just, like, the fact that it's, well, I mean, it's black and white, which I guess is more like a product of the time, but because it's Soviet. But um, also just, like, it's very, very, very medieval and very gothic and, like, big castles you know and contrasty and shadows heavy, and heavy on the shadows yeah a lot of shadows and uh <laughs> but i really love how they portray the ghost in this i don't know if you remember jr the ghost is like in full armor like like actual like arm. you don't ever see his face you just see the armor and he's got mm-hmm. a massive cape that's like flowing in slow motion behind him amazing just absolutely <laughs> great and uh, not utilized nearly enough. But, um, and I like the idea that they, I was thinking about, like, the movie starts, and they're just sort of, um, it just jumps right into scene two of the play. And I was, and I didn't even think about it. I was like, I didn't even think about the fact that they skipped scene one until uh, Horatio and everybody come to Hamlet and say, hey, we I saw your father's ghost, you know. And I was like, oh, yeah, they, we didn't see that scene. But it makes so much sense to take that scene out. Because that scene is totally, like, it's totally redundant. Because Horatio is going to come and give that exposition anyway. He's going to literally repeat everything that happened in that scene to Hamlet. So it makes total sense to get rid of that scene. I've never seen, it's just just so, like, 
that's so smart to do that. And I don't, I don't, I mean, to be fair, I don't remember if Olivier did that or not, but, um, anyway, it's a good, it's a solid, uh, Hamlet adaptation. I think Olivier's is better, but only, I mean, a lot of it's sort of out of the hands of the Russians. I mean, they're speaking Russian for God's sake, you know, you lose a lot of the, um, <laughs> you lose the sort of beauty of the language whenever they're not speaking the language, you know, mm. um, you're, I'm reading it on the screen, and I'm seeing. I'm also like so. I literally just finished reading Hamlet for the hundred millionth time, and I'm like, you know, so I, like I know every word, and they're they're like they're skipping like certain words and sentences, and I'm just like, why would they get rid of that word? That makes no sense. Like, <laughs> just like just say the fucking just say it like it's supposed to be, you know. Um, but yeah, it's pretty solid otherwise, and I I enjoyed it quite a bit. So when you're you're seeing it double translated, you know, it's like. Yeah. They've translated into Russian as best they could, probably. And, yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, that's totally true. And, um, but I mean, you know, it doesn't, it's not a huge penalty against it or anything. It's just, I think the, uh, I think that Olivier's Hamlet is the best Hamlet. I'm pretty sure. Out of the ones I've seen. <laughs> I, um, will you watch uh, Kozintsev's version of King Lear? I absolutely will. Yeah, I absolutely will. Um, really like that one. Yeah, I'm psyched to see that as well. It looks extremely similar. Uh, like the, you know, obviously, yeah, the whole black and white thing in the medieval um, sort of era. Yeah, man, I'm psyched. I I want to read King Lear. I've never actually read it all the way through, so I want to read King Lear Ooh. and then. Yeah, so I'm gonna read it and then I'm gonna watch. I want to rewatch Ron and I want to watch this and I want to watch the other, um, the Paul Schofield King Lear from the 70s or 60s. What about the Godard King Lear? I want to watch that too. Uh, yeah, I mean, King Lear is kind of like Shakespeare for adults, you know, like, uh, <laughs> you know, you've, you've read that that high school Hamilton shit so many times. <laughs> Sorry. I'm sorry, I'm kidding. Hamlet is his most <laughs> complex play, but that's okay. <laughs> what? That's probably that's <sighs> certainly one of the best plays. I like I like King Lear a lot. Well, King Lear is uh, insanely complex to the point of being like, like what? Convoluted. <laughs> yes, there you go. Convoluted is a better word. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, so yeah. Anyway. Kevin? Okay. So, on opening day, I took my kids to see the Super Mario Brothers movie. And we loved it. Like, like, the boys, like, typically don't, like, like, they'll watch a movie and they'll, like, enjoy it. But, like, this is, like, the first time in, like, a long time that they actually, like, we're still talking about it like the next day. So, you know, they, they just were beside themselves. They were laughing like pretty much the whole time. And I got to say, like having played, having played a lot of, you know, Mario games at this point, like they did a great job and like they, like you're constantly seeing like visual and hearing audio like snippets that are you know from like so so many different games and stuff and like they even you know like a big part of the plot of the movie is um i guess a i don't know homage or reference to the live action movie 
because like it starts out with them being plumbers in Brooklyn and you know they they go in they go into the sewer while you know this water main is like flooding the streets and like then they end up in the mushroom kingdom and so then they got to go and you know save the mushroom kingdom from Bowser and along the way we get uh Donkey Kong joins the fray and uh <laughs> like Seth Rogen yeah and you know like Initially, I was like, oh, man, uh, Chris Pratt, you know, I'm probably not going to enjoy this as much as as much as I might. But, you know, he he's his performance is. Chris Pratt is not on my mind when I'm watching the movie, like I'm, you know, I'm watching Mario and I'm watching Luigi and uh, Jack Black is great as Bowser. And like what what a week for him. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) <laughs> the Mandalorian shit too. Yeah, uh, sorry. <laughs> but yeah, um yeah. I would I would obviously recommend it to any anyone who's got kids that are into Mario and, you know, like I don't know if you guys would want to s- see it in the theater, but you know, it would be <laughs> it would be it would be worth your time, you know, cuz it's not super long, it moves really easily and it's very funny. My so. um, my daughter is into Mario. She likes Mario a lot. She plays a a Mario Kart game app on her iPad all the time. Oh, nice! And um, we're gonna take her to see it at some point. Um, cool. but I'm not excited at all. <laughs> I'm excited <laughs> to take her to the movies. I really am excited to do that. But mm. I could give a fuck about this movie. But you know, I'll try to enjoy it. Has she been to a movie theater before? No, this is going to be her first time. Oh, shit. Okay. I guess, like, I have no idea what that age is. Like, like where where you are, like, I can take kids to a movie theater now. She's five. I mean, I was five when I saw my first movie, so I think five is good. I mean, it just depends. I think it depends, too. Your kid might be, you know, more mature or less. Who knows? Whenever they're at that age. And they need yeah. to have a certain level of maturity just to be able to, like, sit still for that long you know yeah yeah i mean i cannot imagine it yeah (laughs) (laughs) i mean she um she sits she sat we watched we went to her great aunt's house and watched turning red and she sat through i'd say more than three quarters of it it was about the last 15 or 20 minutes she was like i'm out like she started running around and doing other stuff that's when they go to the concert I know she didn't go. She was just like she's just like it's been long <laughs> enough. I've been sitting for long enough. I need to get up and do stuff. Mm. I know. But she was like really into it until then. So I think um you know, she'll probably be fine and there'll be popcorn and show we'll get her candy, you know. She'll be Yeah, yeah. She'll be all right. Yeah, cuz like yeah, like the the we um we probably would have taken them earlier, but you know, the like pandemic and all. Mm-hmm. But um yeah, like the boys' first experience at the movie theater like, you know, they yeah, they were really in, they were really into the experience of it, you know, because like this was their huge... first movie. No, uh, the Minions oh. uh, Rise of Gru was the first mm. movie. But um, hmm. and like they also saw the a, DC Super family. Super Pets movie. Um, Is that Illumination also? 
No, it was uh, Warner Bros. Oh. oh, yeah, yeah. Hey, what was, uh, uh, Kevin, what was your first movie in the theater? The first one that I remember seeing in the theater was Beauty and the Beast. Because I remember oh, okay. going to the Broadmoor Theater, yeah. waiting, you know, and, like, I remember, like, the red, like, you know, carpet that was mm-hmm. in the place. And then going in Street and, like, see- and seeing the, uh, you know, the castle come up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> JR, what about you? Uh, I don't actually know. I'm guessing it was... Like Aladdin, I know I went to the theater you to see Aladdin. Fucking cocks. I was, was, was four, man. I'm not had much of a choice. I'm just kidding. I saw Aladdin um, too. But yeah, I John's don't like the first Aladdin. movie I saw in the theater was Bad Lieutenant. <laughs> <laughs> I was five. <laughs> I I have found that I like I recall like like Broadmoor theater experiences from like 1984. Mm-hmm. Um, like seeing the the live action Jungle Book and uh, Lion King and sure. a bunch of stuff like that. I remember those. I don't remember going to Aladdin, but I know that I was in a theater for that. Don't know if I was in a theater before. Mm. Cool man. Um, Jr., it's your turn, bud. Oh. Um. I watched something today that I, I forgot to log until uh, like just now. Uh, I watched the Ghost in the Shell 2.0. Um, am I frozen? Yes. Yeah. Mm. But we can still hear you. Okay. Cool. Um, Kevin, you've not seen this? 2.0? No. So it's like a... Have... Sorry. No, go ahead. Uh, I don't know why it exists. I don't know... It came out in 2008 that's like 13 years after the original or something and it's just the original movie but like with a new like uh color grading color correction so it's just like it's orange and it's got a re-recorded soundtrack and um they have or oshi has added in like 3d like cg animated sequences like at a few points and the CG stuff is just like truly bizarre because it's like the rest of the movie is not CG and uh, just looks really weird and it's bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, I was, you know, like this is on movie, so I was kind of like, oh, it's been a long time since I saw Ghost in the Shell, and it's like never been an anime that I, I loved, but I was like, but I know people do, so I was like, let's give this one another go, and uh. It's not great. It's just not great. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I I rewatched the um the original one like not that long ago, and like yeah, I just I know a lot of people hold it in high esteem, and I just personally I just don't understand. Like I don't think the animation is all that great. I don't think you know, yeah. like the. Like the story is like, well, I read Neuromancer and I read some other William Gibson books, so it's like this is nothing new for me. Um, and you know, it's not the mind-boggling experience that you know Akira is. And I don't know, like I haven't seen a lot of uh, Oshi's um, filmography, but I mean, I remember thinking Angel's Egg is way better than this um yeah so i like ghost in the shell a lot (laughs) 
I like it a lot. <laughs> I do. I think it's great. Well, I think it's. Uh, um, so I mean, to be clear, know. I I'm judging this like newer version. No, I, I understand. Yeah, yeah. Mm, mm. I'm responding to Kevin's absolutely oh, okay. insane criticism of it. I <laughs> I'm just kidding, Kevin. <laughs> and I I do like um, I do like Oshi's his work. Mm. This is the only Oshi film I've seen. So. I uh I turned my video off and now I can't turn it back on. I can't actually I can't do anything. I couldn't even like uh leave this meeting if I wanted to. I can't click leave. I think I actually did see Pat Labor the movie when I was a teenager, but I don't a thousand percent remember, so I'm not gonna log it or anything. I, I feel or maybe Pat Labor the Mobile Police. I know I rented one of the Pat Labor movies from Blockbuster when I was a kid. I watched one of those a few years ago. Yeah, I mean, uh, I and like I his... think I, I think I liked it. I, I think the animation in Ghost in the Shell is amazing. Kevin. So sorry. <laughs> uh, not the, not the one that Jr. is talking about, of course, which mm. looks like gross from the banner on Letterbox. But, um, okay. Uh, I'm going uh, to leave and come back. All right, bud. Okay. I uh, I watched uh, Lean on Me, directed mm. by John G. Avildsen of Rocky fame, and uh, he directed all the Karate Kid movies also. Mm-hmm. Um, 1989, this is a movie starring Morgan Freeman as Joe Clark, the principal of Eastside High School in Patterson, New Jersey. And the reason I watched this is because on my TikTok, twice I had uh, like scenes from this movie come up. And it was just like him screaming at people. And I was like, this is, this looks pretty entertaining, you know, hmm. I'll power through this real quick. And so I watched it, uh, and it's not g- very good, <laughs> but, um, it's just really, like really over the top. Like it's this story about this, this sort of optim, like sometimes he say he's an optimist, but he's like, he like wants to change the world. You know, he's like mm. that kind of an educator. And, um, he gets sort of driven out of his old school because he's so much of a high-minded thinker and uh, they don't like that. They wanted everything to just be sort of like, you know, buy the book and do what Mm. you have to do and make the union happy, et cetera, et cetera. Anyways, years later, Eastside high is like in the shitter. It's like drug deals going on. Kids have guns at school and shit. It's like, it's, it's sort of absurd how ridiculous, like, like mm. it comes off as comical and I'm not sure that it, that, you know, it's not possible. There were schools like this or that even this is a true story. Maybe this school was like this or there were literally a guy coming to the school with a briefcase full of drugs to sell drugs to the kids. I don't know. Maybe that happened. It doesn't seem like it would happen. Mm. It comes off as being very unbelievable and very silly. Uh, but then Joe Clark comes in, they hire him because he's the only man for the job and he immediately expels like, you know, a third of the school population, all the ones that are bad kids, he gets rid of them. And then suddenly school starts to uh, immediately sort of, you know, take shape and become a great place, which I don't know. It's like that kind of stuff. It's, it's feels like a, you know, great moment to have in a screenplay. Like he gets all these kids on the stage and he's like, all these kids are expelled, you know, and they expel what? Oh my God. They can't believe it. You know, and then the security guards escort them out. It's very dramatic and everything, but I don't know. I don't buy it. I don't buy that. 
he would have the ability to do that <laughs> for one. I mean, yeah, even in 1989, I, mean, I know what it takes to get a kid expelled now. And in 1989, it couldn't have been that much different where a principal could just literally kick a bunch of kids out of school. I don't know. And um, not that that, uh, you know, I was watching a video today about this guy, uh, this ex-Marine who was reviewing movies about Marine Corps. Like, uh, mm. like uh, he did like Jarhead and Full Metal Jacket, you know. Yeah. And he was talking about, oh, this really bothers me because, you know, in, in boot camp. Our, our barracks didn't look like this, and the towel goes on the left side. And I'm just like, you can't just, like, not think about that for a second. And I feel like I don't want to be that guy who's like, I'm, I'm a teacher, so I know this wouldn't happen. Mm. Uh, so I try to, like, give it a grain of salt that way. Like, I try not to think about things in terms of, like, being an educator or whatever, you know. It's like, it's, it's and plus it's happening 40 years ago or whatever. So it's not like, it's not like I have anything to do with this anyway. Mm. But, um, Yeah. I don't know. Morgan Freeman is like fine, and he's not great. I don't think. I mean, maybe that's blasphemy. I know people think he's like God, but I mean, Morgan Freeman's a, a a fine actor. He's had some good performances, but he certainly had ones that were not as good. And I think this is one that's sort of over the top and cheesy. And um, the script is to blame as well. I think mm. by uh, Michael Schiffer, who also wrote Crimson Tide, apparently. Oh, um, well, which is, you know, one of the sort of unsung good screenplays. But uh, I don't know. It just didn't work for me on a whole lot of levels. But it was entertaining. I mean, it flowed, flowed by really quickly. And it has a crazy early performance from uh, Michael Imperioli. Mm. He has zero lines. He's just one of the bad kids that gets expelled at the beginning. Mm. You are saying? Okay. He is very upset. <laughs> Um, and also, last thing I'll say is that Mike Starr is also in this movie. Oh, and he's in like at least five scenes mm-hmm. and has no lines. He's just always just standing there. And they refer to him like by name. They'll be like, "Hey, Coach So and So, you're the head coach now." And he's just standing there, like he doesn't respond. <laughs> it's very, and he's thin. Whoa, which is insane! Because you never yeah start thin before, you know. Yeah, but um, yeah. Wow. Anyway. There he is. There we go. That's the dumbest shit in my life. <laughs> um, I don't know. All of a sudden, Skype was just like, you don't have uh, any speakers, and you also don't have a microphone so uh, or a camera. It's like, that's not true. Anyway, I'm back. I'm sorry. Hmm. Lean you on missed, me. You missed my entire review of Lean on Me. Damn, dude. It's not very good. Don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> Kevin? Let's see. Uh... So speaking of Gerard Butler and Thandiwe Newton, I rewatched Rock and Rolla. Mm. With uh, I almost watched Guy Ritchie's new movie. Oh, which one? Uh, with Project uh, the Covenant, Daguerre, Daguerre, whatever it's called, Rue Daguerre. Daguerre. Oh yeah, something like that. Yeah, almost. I was I was this close. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um. Anyway, so uh, yeah, Rock and Rolla starring. Gerard Butler, Thandiwe Newton, Idris Elba, Tom Hardy, Tom Wilkinson, excuse me, Toby Kebbell, um, Mark Strong, who I love in this movie. Um, so we got British gangsters, we got Russians, we got xenophobia, we got uh, drugs, sex, rock and roll, um, it's just a good time, I gotta say. <laughs> really? I've never seen Rock and Rolla. 
Yeah, I mean, I I guess, like, for me, I guess it's like, you know, like, I like, like, for me, when Guy Ritchie is doing, like, this kind of stuff, like, this is where he's at his best. Because, like, Love Snatch, I loved The Gentleman, and this one, I don't know, it's it gets a little, like, long and convoluted, so, like, it, not, and it doesn't quite has have as many laughs for me. But um, but it's still a, it's still a good entertaining movie, and like watching it again, like really liked uh, Mark Strong, his performance as like the kind of um, mafia heads like right hand man, and uh, Toby uh, Kebble as uh, the stepson of the mafia head. You know, being kind of a sort of drugged out rock and roller who like fakes his own death so that his um, uh, sales will go up. <laughs> and, you know, good performances from uh, Ludacris and Jeremy Piven of all. <laughs> Ludacris. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, they're in the movie for like all told, like. I don't know, eight minutes. This is like prime Jeremy Piven time right here. 2008. Yeah. He's on top much. of the world, man. Yeah. Oh, how the mighty did will would fall. <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Very, very entertaining. I think I watched the first like five minutes of this at some point, like back around when it came out on, mm. you know, dvd or whatever i forget why i didn't watch it like i was i remember thinking like you at the time i like snatch and i liked um lock stock and i remember thinking like uh oh this is like a smaller sort of you know like it wasn't as big as i noticeably not as big as snatch like it didn't have the names you know Mm. but uh because like gerard butler was like essentially nobody at this time yeah he had done the um Phantom of the Opera, I think that was it. I mean, as far as big productions go. Well, I think this was after 300. Was it? No. Was it really? Was it after 300? Yeah, this is like 2008. 07, right? Oh, you're right. 07. Uh, this after, yeah. 06. Oh, yeah. Sorry, 06. Jesus. Well, hmm. you're right. 300 06, right? Or did 300 yeah. actually come out 06. March 07? Well, it says 06 on Letterboxd. I don't know. Yeah, I think it was a Toronto... Okay, movie, but actually came out in March mm. the next year. So I guess he's riding high on the 300 fame, doing rock and roll, which sounds insane because 300 seems much bigger than rock and roll. But well, yeah, um, I remember being becoming like really aware of him when Law Abiding Citizen came out. I was like, oh, oh yeah. this is like he's like a guy now, like he's on the same level as Jamie Fox. <laughs> yeah, yeah, apparently. You know? But uh, anyway, that's, that's probably still true. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but yeah, yeah, I, yeah, very like, yeah, I will, uh, I might watch this. It's on HBO. I might watch this. I remember yeah. it has, it has three quotes at the beginning, right? Three. Does it have three uh... different quotes? I could have sworn that was one of the things that like, I remember about it. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm thinking of what's his other. Oh no, he has another movie. I'm thinking of a different film. I'm thinking of uh, Revolver. Revolver has three quotes. Oh yeah, I've been Revolver meaning... is the one that I watched five minutes of. Never mind. I never watched it. Anymore. Oh okay, okay. That's I've the... been meaning to rewatch Revolver because I I remember it being like weird and like trippy. Which... Statham Statham with long hair is pretty trippy. 
Yeah. yeah, and a handlebar mustache. And, yeah. I'm going to watch both of these. <laughs> and then I'm going to watch his new garbage movie with Statham. What about his new I'll Afghanistan watch the, movie? I'll watch the, uh, the, the Oscar bait one, too. I'll do it. <laughs> the, the weird Oscar bait movie that will never get nominated for anything. Uh, yeah. Um, okay, JR? Uh, well, the last thing I have is my uh, homework. So are we? Are we to homework? Okay. Well, I mean, I'm sure. gonna so I'm gonna talk about one more, but you can go ahead. All right. So I actually did my homework, which I've really struggled with lately. Um, and of course, my homework was a 75 minute, you know, monster B movie from uh, 1957. It's called uh, The Giant Claw. And uh, guess what, guys? It's a pretty typical monster movie. It's, uh, you know, got really rough effects and bad performances, and there's barely any story there, and somehow it's still, like, it's like, this is 75 minutes. When is it going to kick into gear? Uh, like, still starts slow somehow. Uh, but, you know, there's, like, a middle section that feels kind of breezy, um, and it's not, like, difficult to watch. There is an, a, a pretty obscene amount of narration in the beginning, and it's narration that is like clearly covering up dialogue that they just decided doesn't work. It's like they, at one point, like this this thing, this monster is like a, it's a, it's a giant turkey basically. It's an alien bird, but it looks very much <laughs> like a turkey. And uh, the first time you see it, like it's, it's moving so fast, right? So it's like just this sort of like blip. And the first time they see it, it's like in the opening narration and um, the narrator's like, and McAfee said, it's as big as a battleship. And like he, con- they constantly reference that he said battleship like eight times in the movie. But it's like, well, the narrator said battleship. You never said battleship. It's like, it's, it's just really very clunky. Um, clunky narration to cover up even clunkier dialogue. Um, I got uh, I got nothing else. There's like Cold War fears because that's what this is, you know. There's the oh, turkey wow. with the comb over, and uh, there is a uh, you know co-starring uh, Mara Corday, who is uh, absolutely gorgeous. Not going to say that like I knew who she was before this, but. Um, I apparently have seen some movies with her. She was in, in several of these monster movies and, you know, had, had some other stuff. It was in some Westerns, but she's beautiful. More Mara. Cool. That's not cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, this sort of relates to bound our deep dive. I was reading the trivia to bound. And it says the Wachowskis uh, told Joe Pantoliano that his character was based on Fred Dobbs, Humphrey Bogart's character in Treasure of Sierra Madre. So I watched Treasure of the Sierra Madre because I'd never seen it. And I'd you know, been meaning to, obviously. It's a classic. Um, directed by John Huston from 1948. It's my first Humphrey Bogart movie. Never seen a Humphrey Bogart movie before this. Jesus. He's got okay. a real... Wow. He's got a real, and I don't want this to sound insulting, okay? Because it will, though. Okay. I, I, I like 
his presence, okay? Not super impressed by his performance in this, but I do like his presence. He has a real Mo thing going on from the Three Stooges. Like, the way he sounds and the way he carries I mean, himself, particularly in this picture, he is Mo from the Three Stooges. You're not wrong. I know I'm not. <laughs> JR <laughs> seems to think I am, though. <laughs> I mean, you know, sorry. I know that's like, you know, it sounds insulting. I don't mean it to be. I like Mo. I like the Three Stooges. They're doing their own thing, and it's brilliant. Um, this movie is good. It's like, you know, the direction is super competent, solid. It looks really nice. Uh, I don't love any of the performances. I know there's like, I mean, like all you read about is Walter Houston in this thing. I mean, he's good in it, but like he's not, I don't know, he didn't blow my mind or anything. Like he's not doing anything terribly interesting in my opinion outside of, you know, just sort of delivering his lines in a rapid fire pace like everyone is. Mm. Um but I do like the idea, like, I like how much time they spend setting up these characters before they get, like, going on the actual adventure where they're, you know, looking for gold. Uh, how how I like the idea that the movie star that's in this movie, Humphrey Bogart, is like a homeless man at the beginning who's begging <laughs> for money in Mexico. Like, that seems insane to me for, for this time period. I mean, you know. And uh, I love the whole thing where he goes to work for that fellow and the guy doesn't pay him and then they find the guy in the bar and they beat the shit out of him and get the money. That rocks. I'm into all that stuff. And, uh, you know, the movie... You know, I've been talking about pacing a lot. It's paced well. It, it flies by. Um, the biggest problem I have with it, I think, is the like the the script, like Houston's script for this. Like, it's just so Bogart is talking so much to himself to explain things to the audience, and it drives me absolutely fucking nuts, dude. Like, he's just like after he um, assaults someone. I don't want to spoil anything for anybody. He assaults someone, and then he's like, maybe he didn't get killed. Maybe I only shot him once. I don't remember. <laughs> it's just like, you don't need to, like, there's ways to get that across without him saying that, right? Like, you could direct the film instead of having Humphrey Bogart's character explain the film to the audience, you know? It's not as interesting, in my opinion. But, um, you know, you have to give it, I guess, leeway for when it came out and things. It's like, you know, any it's like any movie that is a classic. They're not, they don't necessarily hold up to the standard of what cinema is, you know, 70 years later, but, or what it can be 70 years later, but, um, just things were different, but I don't know. This was, it, again, it was fine. I enjoyed it. Uh, I didn't love it. Did not, was not blown away. I felt if, if, if it just reminded me of like Citizen Kane that way, I was like, I'm just, I feel this similarly. I'm like, I respect it. I think it's, very well made and everything and i understand why it's a classic i understand why all these filmmakers say it's their favorite movie but like it just didn't doesn't do much for me in that way sorry (laughs) (laughs) not not offended not offended i I know um yeah and uh did you see did you see joe in in this performance like I, you know, I was thinking about it after I was actually thinking about it today. I watched this movie last night and I was thinking about it today. I was like, cause I didn't really consider that while I was watching the movie at all, <laughs> even though that's the reason I watched it. <laughs> but then I was thinking about it. And I was, it is it hit, the, the, the paranoia is very similar. Like the way that yeah, definitely the talking Leon, to himself. Yeah. You know? He like <laughs> sort of gets that like, but I will say like, 
this is going to sound insane too, but like Pantaleano's performance is better than Bogart's performance. And again, I think it just has to do with, it's a more, it's as unnatural as Bound is, as stylized as it is, his performance is so much more grounded than Bogart seems to be. Even though the rest of the movie around Bogart seems way grounded because it's authentic Mm. and it's filmed in Mexico and everything. But anyway, we'll get into Bound. Anyways, that's it for me. Um, let's see. I real quick. I I rewatched uh, This Is the End, the Seth Rogen Jay Baruchel movie. It was a lot funnier than I thought it was going to be on this on the second go round. Uh, and I also watched rewatched uh, Yojimbo, which I enjoyed quite a bit. I thought the the story, the like plot, kind of like I don't know. It seemed it like come to like a screeching halt towards the end. Um, but I still, but I still think it's really good. Like, um, you know, I just, yeah. Anyway, good I'm done. <laughs> Jerry, you got another one? No, that's it. Let's All talk right. bound. This is, um, <clears throat> directed by Lily and Lana Wachowski. Uh, stars Jennifer Tilly, Gina Gershon, Joe Pantoliano, John P. Ryan. Uh, yeah, and IMDb says credited as John Ryan. Hey, mm. there you go, bud. And uh, of course, Christopher Maloney. Yeah, which I was surprised about. Uh, yeah, Christopher Maloney is in this also. And uh, this is the uh, pre-Matrix Wachowski film mm-hmm. uh, about two lesbian women who decide to rip off one of their husbands who's a mobster. Kevin, this movie was on my deep dive list. Oh, nice. I I only realized it today when I was looking at my list. I was like, oh, shit, I had this movie on my list. So I had to take it (laughs) off. But um, why Bound? Why now? Well, I remembered watching it, you know, a long time ago and remembered it being, you know, a crime thriller, which is unusual for the Wachowskis. I mean, I read, I read again that they had like, um, did, they did the screenplay for the movie assassins. Yeah. This was with, their uh, bread and butter the Richard time. Donner movie. Um, but apparently it, that was like totally rewritten. So I don't, I don't know. Hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I wanted to see, you know, like it was one that you guys like hadn't logged and, you know, it's it just, something something new something different uh you know uh and i also wanted to see like you know after what i after watching the matrix movies again like the first one is pretty good the second two suck pretty bad um i don't have a dire need to rewatch uh speed racer but i remember it being okay um so yeah, I just I wanted to see where I was at with the Wachowskis as filmmakers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because like I also didn't like uh, Sense Eight very much. The Netflix thing they did with uh, J. Michael Straczynski. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so yeah, just wanted to see. All right. Uh, well. Jr., is this your first time watching this? Yeah, first time. Okay, I've seen this movie a bunch. Uh, I probably, probably watched it. Same kind of Rene Russo situation. 
Mm. Yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> you know what scene got destroyed on this tape? <laughs> anyway, no, I'm just uh, you know. VCR tracking doesn't exactly, work so well. <laughs> exactly. No, I had. I think I don't know if I. I don't. I doubt I had this on VHS. I don't think I saw it till it was. We were well into the DVD era, but um, yeah, I saw this movie. I mean, probably conservatively a dozen times throughout my teenage and uh, early twenties years. So, Jr., what do you think of Bound? Your first time out. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't really know what I was getting into. I knew that uh, this movie was or included i get you know i don't famous is the right word but a pretty like well-known sex scene mm-hmm. um but i i had no idea what it was otherwise and i was pretty happy that i got you know like uh sort of like a, a neo-noir like super stylized um and like clearly a movie where like they were trying to be um you know flashy with the camera and uh and i think that i really enjoyed it i yeah i think i'm i'm going with i think i'm going with i could just say i liked the performances i enjoyed where this movie went um and you know like it feels like the narrative feels like pretty simple as far as these things can go. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Let's get into specifics, but I liked it. Okay. Um, same score as the matrix to open this thing. Exact same score. It's done by the same guy. So it makes sense. Oh. Um, that, you know, the swells that it has, you know, even in the, it's in the opening of the matrix. In fact, um, over the title card of this or title CG title of this, um, which, uh, you know, it's neither here nor there. It's just a note I made. I will say that this movie is high up there for me or was high up there for me prior to this rewatch. Um, I watched this a lot of times and it was always great. And I, uh, you know, never rated it before cause I didn't have letterbox last time I watched it. And this time, uh, there are things about this that I still love like a lot. And one of them is Pantaleano's performance and he's just his character. I just love, I mean, he's essentially doing the exact same character as he plays in Sopranos. And I imagine it's like this role that got him that part in the Sopranos, but, um, he's just great. And he's got so much energy and, uh, I love him on screen and yeah, he's wonderful. And that there is in lies also sort of the problem for me is that, he is him, him being the villain takes focus away from him and how good he is. And instead we focus on Jennifer Tilly and Gina Gershon and Tilly is also fine. Gershon, I find to be quite bad in this. Like really? Yeah. Like not good at all. And I feel oh. like it might not be, it might be an issue that we're having again. Like we talked about earlier with the script the, the scenes of seduction between them, they play like porno parody. And I I have to think that they're aware of that. Like they're doing that on purpose, but like it doesn't work for me. Like it just feels very like goofy. And I mean, this idea that like they're, I even, I remember I read the trivia about it and it said something like um they were bragging about the fact that they had this scene in this lesbian bar with real lesbians and, 
And uh, it was Jennifer Tilly bragging about it. Sorry. She was in an interview and they're saying, oh, this is great. You know, because you never see like real people in movies and all that. And it's like, but, and then, they, then the, this reviewer or the interviewer pointed out, but yeah, but the, the two leads in the movie are, are beautiful sort of lipstick lesbians, you know, like a, the guy's vision, a heterosexual male vision of what a, a lesbian ought to be. And, uh, and those scenes play into that. And it's just like, it's, I don't know. I, I didn't, I didn't love that. I didn't love the sort of. I mean, did you guys get that from it? Like those scenes are like classic, like seventies porn, right? I mean, it's like the the handy well, woman comes over. Oh, you got something stuck in your sink, huh? You know, <laughs> it's like it's just. It's I mean, goofy. yeah, you're right. It's funny too. Like it's it's also like, like you don't. I get you know, like it is very you know like porn. You know, like Mata Dispatcher says there's a problem with Dinah Cobble. You know. Um, but also, like, it's also, like, the basic setup for, like, you know, just about any, uh, you know, noir, like, you know, in, like, the 30s and 40s where, yeah. you know, it's like ex-con gets at it, you know, like, um, like, the postman always rings twice, um, you know, and, like, you know, stuff that, like that where it's, like, you know, drifter or, like, ex-con, you know you know, meets, meets a married woman and, uh, you know, they plot against the husband and, you that's know, fair. I mean, that's a fair point. Yeah. And I mean, it's like, just the way that it's the way that it's, but yeah, I, I agree here. Like, I guess it's because it's between two women. A, a part of it is because it's a lesbian couple maybe. And like, we're predisposed to think of it in terms like that. And the fact that they, it gets graphic, you know, whereas those movies mm. you're referencing don't get graphic, you know? True. Yeah. Um, it, it it feels more like it's playing in the realm of like lowbrow porn, which again, yeah, I think, I, mean, I think the Wachowskis are smart enough to realize that. And that's what they were going for. But yeah. I don't understand, understand why they would go for that. And I would hate to yeah. think they were going for double indemnity or the, or the postman always drinks twice or whatever. And, you know, accidentally stumbled into the porn genre without realizing it, you know, and don't understand yeah, yeah. how sort of uh, silly some of these encounters sound. Yeah. I mean, I think like, like watching, watching it again, like, I think that this is only the second time that I've seen it, but like one of my big problems with, with, um, with it was, uh, the pacing. Mm. Cause like immediately, like within like the first, like, I don't know, like the first like six minutes, like we've, you know, we've established, you know, ex-con, you know, um, beautiful wife of a, of a mobster, them, you know, getting into it. And then like, you know, like it just rushes like super fast in, into this, uh, you know, into this con game. But then like, once like, once it gets to the point where like, the gangsters are there and like, you know, um, Joey pants has found out that the money's not there. Then it like slows down to like a really like glacial pace. And it's like, I understand like they're, you know, trying to like build up, you know, the tension and, you know, cause like, you know, Joey pants is talking to himself and like Corky's in the other apartment, like listening in, trying to figure out what's, you know, trying to keep track of what's going on. But after, but at that point it like just gets so like slowed down and convoluted. And, um, mm. yeah, like that was, that was the thing I noticed most like this go around. Um, I mean, I will give them props. Like, 
you know, like this, this is like until you get to like pretty much the very end where like uh, Caesar's, you know, like, yeah, you can't trust fucking queers, you know, like, like if like this, like, did he say that? Yeah. 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 I don't remember him saying that. I remember remember him saying you're kind. He calls her like. He says something like, you can't trust your kind or something like that. Yes, yes. He yeah. says, I've always hated your kind or something like that. Yeah. But then he does Queer say fucking queers. Yeah, yeah. Okay, wow. Um, <laughs> okay. But yeah, I mean, aside from like that, like, you know, like, like, a, like any like man could have played Corky. Because like, mm. you know, it's, it's basically the same thing like any, any ex-con and, you know, sure. like any movie would have done, you know, like. You know, I think eh. also just real quick. I mean, not to not to belabor this, but like I think the the whole like the the reference to porn also comes from like the fact that Jennifer Tilly is so like she's got that voice, you know, like yeah. Oh, I guess I didn't realize that the disposal. You know what I mean? It's like she has like she has like a like a porn actor's delivery, even though she's I think she's actually really good in this. Like she does a good job. Like I think mm. Jennifer Tilly's a good actress. But like she's just got that like monotone, uh, soft, velvety voice that's very like you know seductive sounding. When obviously she's trying to be seductive in that scene. So yeah, I mean she tells her straight up. You know? Yeah, totally. Um, but yeah. Uh, so John, I gotta ask you this: mm. the ending scene with uh, Caesar. What did you think of the squibs? Because you, uh, you see, like you know, like obviously, the, like the blood is like landing after it, like you know, it goes out yeah. of his back and like it's yeah. hitting the paint on the floor. I mean, it's a, it's a. I thought the uh, hiding the money in the paint buckets is a is a cool idea, and I think mm-hmm. that it lends itself to like this interesting, you know, very graphic sort of uh, execution scene that happens with the the paint and everything. Um, the squibs are fine. I mean, I like the, I like the idea that the, one of them blows out of his back and you see all the blood like go into the paint from his back. So it's Mm. like, you know, it's like, I like, I can, anytime you see trajectory through squib work, I like, which just sounds weird, but it's like, there's a, um, I've talked about it before, but in, um, in, uh, mystery train, there's one Mm. where, uh, rockets, rockets, red glare. He's the, uh, owner of the liquor store. And he and he tells um, whoever it is with the gun, not Tom Waits, not Steve Buscemi, maybe Joe the other Strummer. guy. Yeah, Joe Strummer. And uh, is Tom Waits in that movie? Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, anyways, yeah. Joe well, he, Strummer. I don't think the, he's on screen. He's the uh, okay radio DJ. Joe Strummer has the gun uh, pointed at Rockets Regular, and then Rockets, Rockets Regular has the great line. He says, "I'm the man who's going to make you use that gun." And then he shoots him, and you see the squib hit him in the chest and blow out the bottles behind him. Amazing. I love that shit. But so anytime you see stuff like that, I'm good. And uh, yeah, the <laughs> bound sort of has that at the end. But um, yeah. Jared, what'd you think of, uh, I mean, did, did, having seen it, like, for, I, for, one, for one thing, like, it's not it's not a fair criticism for me to say, like, uh, the su- su- suspense stuff doesn't work as well for me, obviously, because I know everything that's going to happen. I know this movie like the back of my hand. But it's like, did the suspense work for you? Like the scene with the cops, for instance? The yeah. scene, even before that, the scene with the mobsters where the case is there, you know the case doesn't have the money in it. I don't need the key. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, guys, uh, this was working for me way more than it was working for you. I know. And I'm not, I'm not trying to, 
like I'm, I'm just staying quiet because I don't want to you know like yuck the, the your yum. No, uh, no, no. Since you're you're enjoying not liking it. Um, I'm not enjoying parts like, of it. I wish it was great. I wish I like still had the same sort of. I like. I thought you know, like Kevin's, uh, like the thing with about pacing. Like I thought that was uh, just like intentional, and I liked the change of pace. I liked how economically this was set up, and um, I don't know that I love that there's like a forty minute stretch where it's actually, you know, Joy Pants's movie, uh, and. It, I think it's kind of a bummer that Corky is kind of just like holed up in another apartment waiting. That's the best part. For a little bit. Uh, <laughs> that and when she's tied up like in her. the closet, sure. and you don't have to hear from her. <laughs> God. Uh, but I, I, man, the suspense was working for me. I, yeah, I loved okay. uh, sending the cop to the bathroom, showing us the blood drip and, you know, him just sort of, you know, like he's in like a rich white dude's apartment. He doesn't give a shit. Uh, it's not paying attention to anything. Sure, and that's a great point. I have a, I have a, I had a really big nitpick for that scene though, that only occurred to me now, which was the cop. He says he says he can go to the bathroom. Uh, uh, Caesar has picked up every one of these bodies and drug them into the bathroom and dumped them in the tub. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Then he pretends like he just showered and he comes out of the shower to tell the cops, oh, the you know, the TV is on too loud, everything's fine, officers, you can go about your business. He's not expecting or assuming that one of them is going to need to piss in his bathroom, right? Right. He is not. So why did he clean the floor in the bathroom? Why waste time to clean the floor in the bathroom if you're not expecting the cop to go in there? It's just like such a it's a small thing, but it feels like there's no re there's no way he would have cleaned the floor in the bathroom. Like you would not have wasted your time. You would have been like, I just won't let him in the bathroom. That's easy enough, you know? It's like <laughs> Right? Yeah, you're right. You're just like ruining the fun of this movie. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. It, it only occurred to me this time. I've never thought about that before. And oh. I, I love the um the shot of the 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 cop's boot going into the carpet and the blood coming out of the carpet. Mm. Like, I love that. Yeah. I think that's a really good piece of direction as far as the well, suspense goes. And I think the cop pauses and, you know, it's like a loaded pause. And then he's yeah. like, is this a condo? <laughs> Which uh, is one of the weirder uh, bits of dialogue there. We, I, guess, again, <laughs> I guess condos uh, imply wealth of some kind. And he's, mm. you know, it's not an apartment. It's a condo. They're yeah. not in New York there. In Chicago. 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 Which I think is also yeah. pretty sure they filmed in LA, but Yeah, it looks like LA. Um looks like a set, to be honest. The whole thing yeah. looks like a set. The outside looks like a like like it's on a lot too. Um sorry, same score as the Matrix, got that one out of the way. Uh <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, how about this? Okay. Do you think now this is nineteen ninety six, right? Mm-hmm. So what other filmmaker did this style of this movie remind you of? Hmm. Uh, you have like a right answer here. Yeah. So, hard <laughs> PTA. No, not PTA. Although that's not that's sort of on the right track. Fincher. Oh, I I uh, didn't. Yeah, yeah. I didn't get that. I was. You don't get that? No, no, I didn't. Oh, but I you didn't I'm saying, do you get it, it now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally right. And it's like this could have. I feel like this could have been influential on Fincher because this is right after seven. This is before he made the game. And mm-hmm. I feel like it's, it feels very much like 
stuff that he did post seven. Like it feels like the game and it feels sort of like panic room too. There are moments where like, like the, the sort of um, the aesthetic of the cinematography resembles mm. those films to me. I mean, maybe I'm way off, but I feel like there's a sort of s- sterile nighttime. I see what you're getting at. No, I don't know. Yeah, it just feels, feels very similar to those to some of uh, Fincher's work. So I feel like maybe mm-hmm. he was a big fan of this. I don't know. It just occurred to me I was watching. That's not a criticism of this film. Obviously, that's a that's a positive. <laughs> well, that I I often felt like um like Joe would be at home or that character would be at home in like a like a Tarantino movie. Just the sure the mm. wordiness. Yeah, I even uh, wrote. I mean, I even had the the note that this feels like post Pulp Fiction, almost like sh- like not. To, this is not an insult either, but like straight to video. It feels like something you'd find on like a video rack, you know, which is mm. like exactly how I found it. You know, you just rent it from Blockbuster one night on a whim, yeah. and yeah. It ends up being it ends up being like way better than you thought it was going to be. Mm. So yeah, it has a, I'm like, sure. Nineties. Sort of I'm sure at this point in the nineties, everything was you know post Tarantino. Yeah. Yeah, everything's in, everything that's crime so. related, for yeah, sure. Yeah, you can't make a crime film in the '90s after Pulp Fiction. Okay, I had an example of of a Gershon line that I hated. Okay, uh, stealing is a lot like sex, and her whole comparison to sex and how stealing <laughs> is like it—just terrible, poorly delivered, poorly <laughs> written. Like, what a goofy thing to say. It doesn't even make sense. Like, her analogy makes no sense. Yeah. Which isn't her fault, but the way she delivers it with such enthusiasm and confidence is just, I don't know. I've never, I don't know that, like, yeah, how much I, stuff I've really I seen wish, Gershon in. But. I just wish that actors, when they had a line that wasn't good, would put, like, a little less effort in, just so, like, we, the audience, <laughs> kind of would know that the actor knows That's not the what line I'm is saying. Bad. I'm just saying, it's not, again, it's not necessarily her fault, it's just, I mean, I think I like her in most stuff. Like, she's in... She, I, I mean, I don't know. She's in Face Off. I don't remember her in any of these movies. <laughs> what is she, who is well, she in The Outsider? It's Insider, I mean. Like, I, I don't know. remember that movie. I don't either, but she, you know, like throughout the the 90s, she's got all kinds of, uh, you know, bit parts. She's, you know, an antagonist in Showgirls, which right. was a, a big deal, you know, flop, I'm sure, for her, but um, that's one of her bigger roles, and it's hard to say how she is in that because like everything is like turned up to 11 and yeah, that's fine. Like if she, if she turned in what I like, if she turned in this performance in that movie, I would almost like forgive it more because I would be like, well, that's, you know, they're Verhoeven's going for like a weird tone there, but like this movie, and I mean, maybe the same, maybe the same can be said for bound. I mean, if they're going for like, like what Kevin was saying, or like what you were saying, like the neo-noir thing or the throwback mm. old Hollywood thing. I mean, what she's doing isn't dissimilar to like one of those leading men in those films whose performances I would also say aren't probably, you know, amazing compared to naturalistic performances, you know? Um, so it's, again, it might not be her fault. I'm not trying to dump on Gina Gershon. Like she's fine, whatever, but mm. it just yeah. wasn't working for me on this rewatch. That's, all I can say. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I think lines like that are like kind of written. I don't know, like maybe like you know, young filmmakers thinking that they're you know, 
like making analogies with sex. It's like, oh, this is, uh, you know, it's edgy. It's, uh, you know, whatever. Um, and, you know, as, you know, grownups, <laughs> you know, we look at that and it's like, uh, no. <laughs> How old were the Wachowskis when they made this? I mean, oh, no God. idea. Oh, no. 1967. I mean, they were probably in their 20s. So. so they're almost 30. Uh, Lily was anyway. I don't know yeah. what their age difference is, but um, let's see. Uh, Joey Pants. I remember listening to the um, the commentary to this movie a long time ago, mm. and they they make reference to the fact that he he lifts every actor almost in the movie. Like he carries almost every one of them at some point. Just <laughs> kind of interesting, you know. Uh, oh, Mickey, the guy John P. Ryan. You know, mm. yeah. Mickey. He's the voice of Buzz Bronski from uh, Mask of the Phantasm. Oh, yeah. Your Angel of Death Awaits, Buzz Bronski. Oh, wow. <laughs> he's barely in it, but he's there, you know? This is his last movie, apparently, also. Mm. I liked uh, I liked Mickey. I liked... Yeah, uh, Mickey was good. Mickey is I liked, good. I liked his performance a lot. The influence yeah. his character had, like, that you could tell the character had in these scenes was, uh, was like, very lived in. Mm-hmm. I, liked, mm. I liked that a lot. I, liked, I think yeah. a lot of that has to do with the fact that they talk about him before he shows up. Like they yeah. talk about sort of like in in like a feared, respectful way, you know. Yeah, which I think yeah. always works to set up a character like that. Um, oh, sorry, I just had a note that I was going to talk about, and then oh, what? uh, sorry, no, it's uh, oh, sorry, no, you go ahead, go ahead. Well, just back to Mickey. I love. I also love the kind of role that he ends up playing in the in the con, which uh, is like the way it ends with them kind of needing Mickey to just like inherently trust and like um Violet. Um like the way for them and everything. She's like, call the police. And she's like, we're not gonna call the police. Yeah. (laughs) I don't want the cops to deal with this. That's that's the thing I was gonna say. Um that his this is gonna sound small, but like his the moment when she kisses him Mm. and he like he like almost leans forward as if he wants to kiss her more, but then he like stops himself and then just gets in the car and drives away. And I was like, that's such a real reaction to yeah. a woman that is this good looking kissing you like that in that moment where you're feeling vulnerable mm-hmm. and like you, like you've protected her and she appreciates it. And you could probably, you know, sleep with her if you wanted to. And he has, he's got a lot of power in that dynamic, but he stops himself. It's just I thought that was great, man. I don't mm. know. It's such a small thing. I've never noticed that before either. But um, yeah. Oh, I hate the line "lick me." Also, she says "lick me" at one point. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I have some these these lines she says interspersed throughout my notes. Brutal. Lick me. I mean, come on. Oh, uh, speaking of the paint at the end, mm. more so than him dying in the paint, this the gun spinning through the paint, like the the sort of pan in shot of the gun spin. I mean, that's, that's great. Mm. Like that's gotta be the whole reason they did the, the paint. Well, shot. <laughs> that's great. I, yeah. The, the paint was a good idea. They, they were onto something with, you know, we can have things in the paint. Yeah, exactly. And, and he basically like, <laughs> you know, like the way he falls in the paint and like makes a fucking like snow angel and stuff, uh, which is like that. That's where the pain becomes a bit much, but I understand why they were like, this is going to look so fucking cool. <laughs> All the blood just splashy little little drops. Um, 
my favorite line in the movie by a mile. And I think also the most authentic and real moment in the movie for me. Johnny comes through the door and uh, he hugs Caesar and he looks at Caesar and he says, you know, you shouldn't have hit me. And then Caesar looks at me and and he's confused. He says, you want to get into this now? And he goes, no, 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 after. And then that is like, that's such a good, that's, that's like, that reminds me of Sopranos so much. Like something like that, just like this little, like, you know, they know they're going to have to have a meeting about that later. You know, they're going to have to hash it out at some point, but they're not going to talk about it right now because they got business to do. Mm. Just great, great line. Yeah, it's basically a, a mob HR meeting after this. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, not anymore, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, for some reason, I wrote down that Dino De Laurentiis uh, produced this, but I don't think that that's terribly important. Although I did read that they had to like shoot, they sh- to shot the sex scene the way they shot it so that they couldn't cut uh, close ups of their tits into it because they thought that Dino De Laurentiis would take the film to Italy and, and like recut it. <laughs> and like oh, wow. close-ups of their tits and stuff so they shot it in one long continuous take to mm-hmm. avoid that and Aaron Spelling apparently involved in this somehow I don't know um, my other my other uh, notes are anecdotal and they have nothing to do with the actual movie but like I I told um, I told my Aunt Diane and Uncle Danny uh, a long time ago like when I was first into this movie I told them to watch it because Michael Danny's Italian not that you know but I mean you know, it's like he likes mob <laughs> stuff he likes Sopranos a lot and um yeah at the time. And uh, I told them to watch it. I was like, it's a great movie. It's like a mob movie. And then they didn't make it past, like they didn't make it into the actual story because they were so offended by the lesbian sex and everything. <laughs> so they turned it off and they chastised me for suggesting it. Uh, you didn't count on them being a little too Italian Catholic, I guess. I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, they're not religious at all, actually, or they, they weren't my, my aunt's dead, but um, yeah, I don't, they've never been religious at all. Mm. And the only other thing I have is that, um, the co-creator of The Simpsons, Sam Simon, mm-hmm. he he uh, he's like a friend of the Howard Stern show, and he <laughs> used to be married to Jennifer Tilly, and apparently he like dished on their show. He Jennifer Tilly owns like a a piece of The Simpsons, like she's like a hundred millionaire <laughs> because of it. Like she has lots of wow. money apparently. <laughs> That's too. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Between, between that and Family Guy, she's got to be just, you know, yeah, like right? Scrooge McDucking, you know? I can't believe she works, honestly. It's like, I mean, she must yeah. love to act because uh, there's no reason for her to be working. Does yeah. she act much? I mean, there's, there's she's the, like consistently until... show not, is on like its second or oh, third right? season. Wait, yeah, what is? A bunch of the Chucky movies also. Yeah. She, yeah, she was in like Bride of Chucky and Seed of Chucky, and there's like some I don't know what it's actually called, but like I, I knew she was in Bride Chucky of Chucky TV show. I mean, I guess wow. she got an Oscar nod, right, for um, Bullets Over Broadway, was it? Yeah, maybe I, I don't know. She got and, an Oscar uh, nod for something. Yeah, mm-hmm. she got an Oscar nod for something, and then I mean, so I guess she just I mean, you know, she got a lot of cachet and probably just kept working because of that. I mean, not unless, mm. you, know, you don't necessarily want to stop working, I guess. But yeah, she's, I don't think she does a lot of on-camera stuff anymore. She's doing a lot of like, voice work and stuff probably nowadays. I just remember her, she was on an episode of uh, Frasier. Oh, yeah. Frasier meets her in a bar and then they go back to his place. And Wow. She's, yeah. She's also not, I guess she's a little bit older than I, I thought she was. Oh, yeah. She was born in 58. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, she was like, yeah, she's like forty six or something in that episode of Frasier, and she looks great. 
Yeah, I mean, like, that was a thing with, uh, like, pretty much, like, almost every female guest star in Frasier ended up wearing, like, a very, very low-cut black dress. And That's interesting. Is her, that true? It's... It's I'm gonna seen, have to pay attention to, to that. Yeah, 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 that sounds that sounds right, honestly. Yeah, because I'm thinking and of like I'm like Rolodex. She was the one right. who like it. It worked. <laughs> she looks good. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's all my notes. Yeah. Um. Where does this rank in their filmography for you, Jr.? If you, I mean, given that you enjoyed it so much. Um. Well, I have not, you know, actively thought about that yet but i would probably say that the uh the matrix is better and uh you know then i would say what other movies did they make cloud atlas speed racer jupiter ascending uh, yeah matrix two and three <laughs> you know i i guess i immediately am like yeah you know, i love cloud atlas and i also love speed racer but I think this is probably a better movie than both of those. Mm. And uh, so, yeah, it's probably right below the the Matrix. And then, you know, I don't think Jupiter Ascending is uh, is any good. And I don't like the other Matrix movies. Fair enough. Mm. So, yeah. I mean, I think I would, I mean, I let's say I would agree that it's their second best movie, but I've only seen the Matrix movies and this movie. So, <laughs> All right. and I, you know, Kevin, you mentioned it just briefly earlier. I have seen the pilot for Sense8 uh, mm. three separate times because <laughs> that's Christ, like, no, it was just like I watched the pilot and I'm like, this is fascinating. I'm going to continue watching it. And then I don't continue watching it. So there have been like three times where I'm like, I'm going to watch the show and I watch the pilot and then I just don't keep going. And yeah. I, and I don't think the pilot is bad, but I just like have not been able to, to move forward. I didn't realize it's uh, only directed by Lana. The um, Sensei. Well, I think they created together, right? Mm. Yeah, since they so. both since they both wrote it, but that Lana directs it. And uh, only one of them directed the most recent Matrix movie. I forget which one, but oh, that's right. Also, that's probably a union also thing, though, right? Maybe. It's probably a uh, wait. No, that's she, still oh, that's yeah, still a thing. I don't know. I right. I mean, it's like it's. That, the, that's uh, why. That's why the Coens used to only credit one, but now they're both credited. Right. I don't know. They're, they just like, they're like oh, they. I mean, according to uh, according to the IMDb, only only Lana wrote it too. So well, I mean, with the other two screenwriters, so maybe Mitchell. Lily. Maybe Lily just like was not a part of this. Yeah, Lily's just not interested anymore. I don't know. I don't know. I this, can understand I that because Matrix was the Resurrections was not very good. So. Yeah. so uh, no, it was not. Huh. Now I'm curious uh, what happened. Mm. All right. Well, while we contemplate and look that up, uh, ratings for the, I almost said the Matrix Resurrections because I'm looking at the letterbox <laughs> page, um, Bound? Uh, I'm going to give Bound a four. I Just a solid enjoyable little uh genre piece for me you remember kevin before we got jr to finally break and start giving movies positive scores that we picked 
But <laughs> and, and he would always give stuff like really low ratings, you know. And he would be like, "Oh, this is not good, and it's '90s garbage or whatever it was, you know, whatever whatever his excuse was for not liking it." And now it's like he won't go above a four. Like he'll he loved Bound, but he won't go above a four. I did not. Like, <laughs> He's really raving about how good this movie is. Oh. I'm not. I'm, I'm raving only in comparison to you guys because y'all were hating. I know. I'm just kidding. I wasn't hating. Yeah, I didn't say hating. I, I enjoyed it. I get, I'll give it, give it a three. I'm giving it a three and a half. Hey, and, look at that. And honestly, like from what I can, from what I can tell, this is their best movie. Whoa. I would. I would definitely say this is better than The Matrix. Ouch. <laughs> I can't go there with you, bud. I, uh, yeah, for me, this is, uh, the matrix is a, is a four, although it's sort of like a light four, but Mm. (laughs) 3.75 better than this, in my opinion. But, um, anyway, uh, all right, Mm. well, let's play some letterbox roulette. Yeah. With Jennifer Tilly, Gina Gershon, Joe Pantoliano, John P. Ryan, Christopher Maloney, and Richard C. Serafian. Who mm. played uh, Gino, mm. and who is in the Crossing Guard and Bugsy apparently, uh, and Blue Streak. Hey, we just talked about Blue, I talked about Blue Streak earlier. Yeah. Um, all right, let me get the uh, dice app out here. Okay, should have been doing this, and I didn't. Here we go. There it is. Okay, you guys, ready? Yeah. Here it is. Starts on three, six. Six. It's Richard C. Serafian. <laughs> Seraf- <sighs> I don't know what his name is. Um, how come I'm not getting a number here? So I'm not either, and uh, I've been noticing this, you know, clicking around while we've been, we've been recording. I was uh, assuming it was a my fault thing oh, or my no. problem thing. They took off the number. Why would they do that? But like they didn't. I don't. This might be messed up. It's like the number's still there. Like if I'm on a list. Mm. That's bizarre. You guys are looking at it on the website? Yeah. Yeah. It's still looking on, on the, the app. app. It works on the app? <sighs> I mean, I can see. I just faded the watch ones and counted them. He has only been in like 20 movies, so it makes oh, okay. it easy. So, uh, yeah, I can see it pretty quickly here. Okay. Oh, man. This is going to be tight because I bet we've. Well, no. no I... I, don't, I don't think it's going to be tight, JR. I think John's going to win. Yeah. Sorry to say. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on a hot streak, but. Oh, you... <laughs> idiots who've seen you're like yeah i went to the theater and saw dom juan de marcos such I've a never i've never seen fucking dom johnny depp stan never seen it don't <sighs> like johnny depp. i saw it <laughs> <laughs> not in All the right, theater uh, but i saw it kevin what's your number three five. Oh shit jr <gasps> five <gasps> tiebreaker oh no tiebreaker what? why would you think that wouldn't be close I thought for sure you hadn't seen like I mean because I've seen Blue Streak and Gunman and I assume you hadn't seen those. I have. I, well, sorry, I've seen Blue Streak, Bugsy, Doctor Doolittle two, and The Crossing Guard. Okay, I've seen all those except Doolittle. Change out Doctor Doolittle two with Gunman. Yeah. All right. Which is atrociously bad. Um, fuck. Okay, well we're gonna so, have to do another yeah, actor. We do, we do another actor. Kevin, you're out. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this is Sorry. a tiebreaker. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Four. Four. Who's that? John, John Ryan. Ryan. All right, John Ryan. It's appropriate. John Ryan. How many of my movies have I seen? <laughs> How many did I go back to? Oh, it's not looking good. 
I feel like you're gonna win this one. Actually, it's nothing, nothing farther down the list. Okay. Oh man, I oh, I have this movie on my fucking watch list. I should have watched this. This this idiot <laughs> didn't watch the Cotton Club in time. I know that too. Jesus Christ. Uh, the Missouri breaks. Like I should have seen that. I'm, I'm an idiot. <laughs> All right, I'm at uh one, two, three, four, five, six. Are you, you serious? Me? Yeah. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Oh my god. <laughs> How did I beat you? I've seen Bound, Batman, Five Easy Pieces, King of Marvin Gardens, Postman Always Rings Twice, that's the remake, Hoffa and Dillinger. I haven't seen Hoffa, and I haven't seen <laughs> The Postman. <laughs> Both David Mamet scripts. You fucked up, my guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, Postman Always Rings Twice, the remake, I remember hating, but I do love Hoffa, or I did mm. when I saw it. Anyways, hey, I win. Um, So the movie... Number is 2158. This is what uh, JR and Kevin are going to have to watch. Yep. Yeah. And I will do the homework this time after my break. (laughs) No, no. And I've. Okay. Well, it's Uncut Gems. So you want to do New Cast? Yes. Okay. Well, Um, Kevin, you've seen it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Move on to 739. I've probably seen it. Um, it is near dark. Let's do it. Oh, again. cool. You want to do that one? Yeah, I've seen that once. Dark? What about you, Kevin? I've seen it, but I should watch it again. Okay. That's been a long time for me. I might rewatch it. I love near dark. Bill Paxton rocks. <laughs> All right. All right, cool. Um, All right. Oh, I see. I was about to say. All right, sorry. Um, So next time, it's my pick, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I'm going to go with It's Time, Private Parts, 1997, starring the one and only Howard Stern. (laughs) (laughs) Directed by Betty Thomas. I'll just go ahead and give you my review now. Uh, <laughs> the return of 90s trash. I think, honestly, JR, I think you're wrong, bud. And I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised. That's just my, that's my guess. We'll see. I just, yeah, I, like, I, I'm coming at this from a place of like, I don't get Howard Stern. I don't get his presence. Uh, I don't, I just, I don't get it. We'll talk about uh, it next and, time. And I, I haven't seen this movie. So like That's right. But I just I don't get him. Open mind, JR. Open it's, mind. It's pretty hard <laughs> to have an open mind. You know, as hard as his Empire State cock on the cover <laughs> of that. It's like um Marianne from Brooklyn said when she called into the show after it was announced that Howard Stern would become a judge on America's Got Talent. She said America is about to fall in love with Howard Stern. And I think the same could be said for JR. After he watches Private Parts, JR is about to fall in love with Howard Stern. All right. <laughs> um, they, they did. He's still like on that fucking show, isn't he? Yeah, he's got two more years left, I think. And then I doubt he'll resign. He's it's going to be 70. Yeah. Is, he, oh, is, uh, is it like a, a countdown on the show every day? No. They don't, they don't, I, don't, I don't honestly know what will happen when the show gets nearer to i mean i'm sure i would imagine they'll do some sort of like 
retrospective or something. Oh, they sort of do that already though, like ongoing. They do like a what's called Sternthology on on there, and they have like old clips and stuff that they constantly play. Um, so I don't really know. I mean, he does the show from his apartment now because of COVID. <laughs> like he's afraid to go back into the studio. Oh, he's oh, still afraid. Yeah, yeah, he's a germaphobe. He's like completely out of his mind about germs. I thought it was like Howie Mandel on a different reality show. Well, he he and Howie Mandel were partners on America's Got Talent. They were and they're judging, both germaphobes. Okay. judging partners. Yeah. They probably got along really well. Or not, because they were germaphobes. They probably hated each other. Um, anyways, yeah, we'll be watching uh, Private Parts. And uh, until then, you know, visit our website, filmyakpodcast.com. And uh, our Instagram, I don't know what I usually say here, write to us at filmyakpodcast at gmail.com. And like and subscribe to our podcasts on your podcast listening apps, whatever they may be. And thank you for listening. Until next time, bye bye. In every moment.